This episode of Uncommon Deeds is brought to you by Barry Tile and Morrison Clark, Central Vermont stop for all types of flooring for your home or business on the South Ferry Road in Barry, Vermont, 802-476-0912, celebrating 50 years in business. Bushy's Generator Sales and Service, Vermont's number one dealer for Briggs and Stratton generators, two locations in Springfield and Brookfield, 802-591-1903 or bushysgenerator.com. We keep your power on. And ProHeat of East Montpelier, Vermont. Sales, installation, and service for water heaters, furnaces, heat pumps, and much more. Call 802-479-9330 or visit ProHeat on Facebook. Professional, reliable, on time. ProHeat. I'm Justin St. Louis. And I'm Tom Corbett. This is Uncommon Deeds. I got the road. Welcome, everybody. Episode 63. Is it? Yeah. It is, isn't it? It is. Wow. 63. We say, we've said that every week since about 51, I would say, somewhere around there. Just, I don't know. I'm impressed. Yeah. We haven't taken a week off. I took a week off, but the show hasn't taken a week off. That is, that is true. Mm-hmm. Man, you regretted missing that week too. I did. Uh, no, we're, we're sh- not many. I'd say. I did get an extra crunch bunch in though. I yes, got you a, did. I got a crunch we've bunch. E- in, we've leveled off. I made it up. <laughs> uh, no, there's, there's not a ton of. Of people who can say they could put out that level of consistency, I think, for what Damn. we're doing. Damn. No, that's not shots fired to anybody that can't take a joke. <laughs> you all suck equally. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> so you uh, all warm and warm and toasty with I all am. the uh, hot weather. I am, uh, because I have pro heat. Well, that's not why I don't live anywhere near there, but you know, happy anniversary as we record this, it's the 20th anniversary for pro heat, but yes, uh, we got about five to six inches of wet, heavy crap snow this morning. Yeah, we did as well. Most of it was gone by the afternoon, which was nice. Yeah. We got about, I'd say three inches here. And I still had to go into work, which Allie's like, what are you doing at a golf course? Are you having an affair? I'm like, no, I got to work on some of the equipment. And I head in, not even thinking, like I'm coming down the Susie Wilson Road to 289, and all the lights at those intersections are out. Oh. I'm like, oh, that's a little sketchy. Hmm. Didn't think, then I got to work. And there was no power at all at the golf course. So, God, I wish we had a generator from Bushies. So you know, my something. my trip in to work was a little bit in vain, as I was not able to accomplish much. You could order a generator now. And you know what? the milk bowl and save $500. $500. I'm going to tell my boss. You should. <laughs> you should. That's a great freaking deal. But also, you need one. He probably wouldn't care. See, what better example? We didn't even have to script that. What better example? I know. You need any flooring? We know a guy. We know a guy. Give you his number. We know a guy. 
That's why. Very tile, by the way. Wow, we we worked them all in there. Yeah, that's why you should want to be getting in on the Uncommon Media family. We treat our sponsors right. I like to think so. If nothing else, we have fun, and it's short money. Right? Yeah. Like Justin and I, short. But also money. We have none. Yeah, all right. That's why we need yours. <laughs> I think, you know, I'm a we're hip hop fans. Yep. I think we should start. Unlikely. Most people probably would not pick that <laughs> You're up. You're right. <laughs> yeah. When we were we had a conversation to let you guys in. The it was a random one when we were just kind of on a Zoom not doing anything. And I had said something about most deaf and Justin lit up. I'm like, what's happening right now? We went into a deep hip hop talk and I was like, did not see this started, one coming today. Started quoting lyrics and stuff. Yeah, it was good. I felt like we know knew each other very well. And we were both like, wait, you like hip hop? You like and like <laughs> both like, yeah, yeah. Go. I have an amazing Jurassic Five playlist. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know where I don't know what we came from to get to that point. But well I was gonna say that we need to start a, a hip hop group and call it short money. Both because of our heights and lack of money. <laughs> yes, of course. Uh, I love a double meaning. Also, I'm curious, and believe it or not, I have actually gotten message a message from at least one person wondering uh, if you've apologized to Jimmy Hebert yet. <laughs> I was going to bring it up. Jimmy actually... We, we, there was some, you know, the, the show at Loudon, everybody's seen the video of Derek Griffith getting flipped over. It was just an abomination that that particular accident was, it makes me so mad. And there was this discussion on Facebook about whether or not short track racers belong at Loudon anymore. You know, has the, has the novelty worn off, blah, blah, blah. And Jimmy Heber, I think it was on, I think it was on Christopher Pelkey's timeline. And Jimmy Hebert went in there and tagged me and said, you jinxed me. I was like, oh. He went out of his way to make sure I knew because <laughs> he got wrecked too. Hard. Bad. Uh, Needs a clip. Yeah. Race season's 45 laps old. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Jimmy. <laughs> oh, I couldn't help, but as soon as I... <laughs> Or someone messaged the Uncommon Deeds page. We didn't even know what happened yet. Like, oh, Justin. You jinxed him. Yeah. Like, what happened? Like, oh. And you see pictures like, oh, yep. We did. Oh, man. That was a lot. That was an expensive, expensive event. I don't know if I want to get back up on my soapbox right now. Uh, But it's. Let's just say. Yeah, there used to be a much more rigorous application process to get into those races and could probably be used. You know, and I think that it goes for spotters as well as drivers, um, because the closing rates on a mile track are far different than the closing rates on a third mile track and the speeds and the you know, the, the speed at which a car reacts to input on a steering wheel is much different 
at 130 miles an hour than it is at 65. Um, and there were some dumb ass friggin' moves out there <laughs> that cost a lot of people money and really seriously could have gotten somebody hurt or killed. I mean, Derek Griffith hit that wall almost head on at full song had nothing to do with the wreck um, because somebody who shouldn't have been there, n- not only the driver, but the spotter made a amazingly bad error. I don't want to go any further. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm getting fired up, man. Yeah, buddy. Yeah. You know what? Also something, something needs to change, put it that way. You know what also got us fired up this episode today? God, it's one of the few where before we were done recording the episode, Justin messaged me that this is one of his favorite episodes. That does not happen very often. You know, some of our favorites we've always said afterwards, but never like midway, like, oh, this is going really well. And I don't think either one of us knew what to what, what to expect from it. I've known Danny Duville for quite a while, but not, we haven't been close. You know, we're, it's, it's a good conversation at the track and how you doing. And it's more than just racing. It's, you know, I'd say we're, we're friends at the racetrack, but it's not like we call each other. And Tom, you, you'd never met him. Not um, once. We're seeing him race. So we kind of both sort of came in without knowing a whole lot about what was going to happen. And holy freaking A. I wish I'd been at every race that Danny Duville ever drove. Like I had because, a good feeling when we, we hopped on the zoom and he entered the zoom. He was kind of like, Oh, hold on. Let me get, let me get my race on in the background. He's watching races in the background. He had three. Yeah. It's like, God love flow. Yeah. I'm like, Oh, part of me is like, Oh, this is exciting. He's really just like super loose. Like, just shooting the shit. Yeah. And then the part of me is like, oh, he's not even remotely paying attention. This could go poorly. But thankfully, it no. was it was the the first. It was awesome. A lot of funny stories and a lot of like serious stories. Yeah. You know, between family and the sacrifices it takes to do the schedule he was doing. The relationship with his father and how it pertained to racing and as well as obviously, you know, the injury that ended his career. Yeah. We really got deep a few times and then, but every single one of those stories seemed to circle around to something hilarious. So he really, he took us on a roller coaster and it was great at both ends. The top and the bottom were both fantastic. And by the way, you mentioned his dad, Pep got on the show. Uh, we didn't know that Pep was sitting in the chair next to him when we, when we started recording. It's been interesting editing. I'm not fully done editing the episode yet, and I've tried to save as much of old Pepe's wisdom as I could that was loud enough. Because a couple times he turned and kind of moved the microphone over there, yeah. and it came out well. But there were a lot of times he was just he was trying to get in there. And it was one of those where I immediately regretted that we weren't doing it in person because we could have just threw an extra microphone and I think it would yeah. have been possibly even better. Right. But no, he's he's definitely in there in there a couple times and he is also the first person in 63 episodes 
who stole your thunder and did the dumbest thing I've ever done in a race car before we got to quick hitters. Yeah, he did. Made me think on the fly. And I had nothing prepared <laughs> at all. Welcome to my world. I Usually don't even about, remember what I asked him. About three quarters of the way through when we're recording our episode, I start stressing about what I'm going to ask for my two quick hitters. You're just nonchalant. Oh, I ask this question every time. You well, you know what? The first episode, episode one with Robbie, did we even discuss that we were going to do quick hitters? We just kind of did. No, it. I think we did. I think did we, we had a kind of an idea going on. I didn't know. I didn't know the question I was going to ask until I asked it. So to Danny's credit, though, I think he knew every time that his dad was speaking quietly or couldn't pick up. Danny always repeated what his father was saying so that we could hear it. I, I appreciate that very much. A little yeah, bit of, a little bit of director in him, I think. And, you know, obviously with a lot of the dirt guys, most of the episode is me learning things. I didn't know, but also like he got raced at white mountain once. What in the hell? Right. Yeah. Um, before there was a wall. Remember, Stacy Cahoon was just telling us about that. that yeah. They put the wall in, what, week two or week three or whatever it was. And I found a picture of him on the track with a checkered flag in his hand in a in his Norway Pines coupe with a wing on the top of it. And uh, it's pre-wall. There's a sand bank in the back. So, like, he was there when White Mountain opened, running a dirt car on the pavement and winning. <laughs> like... Whew, that was cool. And I, you know, I didn't know anything about his early years on dirt race. Really, I didn't know anything about him realistically until he got to the sprint cars. Um, you know, that's about the time that I started following dirt stuff and I'd heard of him, but I didn't know much about him. So I learned a lot in this show too. And speaking of White Mountain, unfortunately, yeah. a tough loss for for that community. Yeah, well, it was actually last week before we, uh, or it was right after we had recorded, and it was, you know, we didn't have time to get it in there. But, um, you know, Terry Avery passed, um, and we're thinking of Donald and David and everybody who knew Terry, and and she was a pistol man. I I loved working with Terry and and being around her, um, and she could give you some shit, and you could give it right back to her, and I think she respected that more. Um, and she was hilarious and, and very sweet and sincere and grumpy all at the same time. And it was, it made for a great combination. And, and I really, uh, I, I admired Terry Avery a lot and, uh, yeah, too bad. I said condolences and thoughts to, to her family. And there's no easy segue out of, out of those, but. We're really like we excited. Do this too much, don't yeah. you? <laughs> That's but sad, we are but, very excited yeah. to bring you this week's episode, and we're really hopeful. You know, we don't ask this of you very often, and I'm not talking about the likes or, you know, being the shepherds of our destiny. I am honestly asking if you listen to this episode, which. You are right now, if you're hearing this, share it because, you know, we're very excited about how this episode turned out and we want as many people to hear it as we can because it is such a good story. 
And for us, I mean, we look at the numbers. Our dirt guys don't always get the same listeners as, you know, our asphalt, our Thunder Road guys, etc. And we really want that to kind of curve and change with this episode because this is a good one that deserves to be heard by as many people as we can get to listen to it. You know, Danny Duville has won more races and championships than I would say 70% of the people that have been on this show. And I really hope that the asphalt fans who generally just listen for the asphalt racers will give this one a shot and, and listen all the way through. You're going to love it. And uh, it, like Tom said, share it, mention us on any social media. Um, a like is great because it, it does show up in, in feeds and stuff, but we really, we're trying to broaden our horizons and in turn broaden your horizons. Um, and this, this story is, if this is your entry drug, <laughs> then you're going to be hooked on dirt racing. <laughs> this is a, this is a hell of a show. That's enough of us gabbing. Let's let Justin make today's introduction. Uh, we don't get enough dart racers on this show, and we are glad to have this one for sure. Uh, he, by my count, has won 11 championships. Maybe, maybe you can correct me on that. Over 100 career wins, and he's got two of the best nicknames that I've ever heard, the Topside Tornado and The Show. Uh, joining us from the Granite State, it's Danny Duvel, and it's a pleasure to have you. It's, a, it's great to see you, man. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks. Thanks. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. How you been these last couple of years? Uh, I'm I'm doing okay. Physically, I'm okay. You know, after after the accident, probably about eighty percent. I haven't been able to do too much exercise yet, so I gained a couple pounds. But uh, you know, mentally, it's it's tough to not to want to get back in the seat and trying to help uh, my quasi nephew Matt Hoyt a little bit, and we sometimes help Jake Williams out a little bit, but. Dave Axon from the ESS team, uh, ESS side. We've helped him as much as we can. So I don't know, just trying to stay away from the track, I guess. I was going to say, is it almost harder to help than it would be uh, just to stay away? You know, it's the more I get recovered, the worse it gets. You know, it's the first year, obviously, we weren't going to do anything, but the second year, it would a little bit worse. But yeah, you know, I mean, I just missed the competition and, uh, and the feeling that you get, you know, when you just standing on the gas and there's nothing else you can compare a sprint car to. So it's very difficult, but you know, it's just one of them deals. It's the way it is. And, and we're just moving on. Yeah. And we'll get to that, that whole injury. Um, but Tom starts us off with, with the same general question. There's only two questions that we ask to everybody. The, the you know, the same questions that we ask every week, Tom, Tom leads it off. And then I wrap it up towards the end. And uh, and we do kick it off usually with when do you remember motorsports coming into your life? Oh boy, that was early. When do I remember motorsports? I think my dad took me to my first race when I was like three or four. Of course, I don't remember it that far back. I remember maybe when I was six, going to Star Speedway and watching Always Silva and and Dick Batchelder. I remember watching Modifieds weekly. I, I remember them running weekly at, at Star. Um, so I was a, I was an asphalt guy for the first until I was 16, basically, and uh, caught my first dirt race when we went out to uh, out to Oswego. Went out to Oswego for the Classic. I don't know, I must have been 12 or 13, and my dad set it up so we hit five races in three days. So that's back when they ran the Pentax 200 at Stafford on a Monday on Labor Day. We, would, we caught uh, – we went out Friday night. 
we caught practice. No, we caught uh, Saturday. Saturday we got some modifieds, and then we went over to Fulton watch the dirt mods. That was really cool. And then Sunday we watched the the big classic, the two hundred. And then we went to Wheat Sport. They had an ESS show back in. This is early. I mean, I was only like I said, probably twelve. I was born in seventy one, so I had to be yeah eighty three, something like that. First time I ever saw a sprint car run. First time I ever saw wheels come up in the air. I was, oh my goodness, look at this thing. This is fantastic. And then we drove all night basically to get to Stafford to watch the modifieds in the 200. So we used to chase this ISMA series, the International Super Modifieds. Um, and then back when in the heyday of the modifieds, NASCAR modifieds, when Bodine and, and um, not Bodine, but uh, Richie Evans and Sachs and Jimmy Spencer. I mean, we're talking a while ago, so that's I'm showing my some of my gray in my beard right now. But God, but what a great era, though. <laughs> oh my God, yeah, it was fantastic. And Bentley in the supers, right? Oh yeah. So the the top three for me, right, are Alex Silva, number one. Bentley's number two, and Paul Richardson is number three. Oh my God. We watched, yeah, we watched that Snafu Seven, the original Snafu Seven. We watched that right from the beginning to where it is now, and yeah, it was a uh, so far ahead of its time. He came out with that car without a wing on it for the first three weeks, and was just as fast. And then when he put the wing on, oh, my word, he just killed him. You know, he was so much fun to watch. And then Bentley got into Safu later on when he drove for Major. And uh, those cars are just phenomenal. But, yeah, my number one hero is uh, Ali Silva, man who could drive anything. And, boy, it didn't look very good, but, boy, she'd fly. <laughs> he usually won two features a night at Star, right? Oh, yeah, he won a lot, a lot of modified, a lot of supers. He won, he won, he ran cut downs for years but yeah he went all over the place he'd go to florida kick their butt there he'd go to canada he went there run out to california just impressive of course i never went to california to watch him race but yeah he got hurt in Mon- and Monadnock there and that was that was a sad day and then i remember probably one of the most one of the things that you know affected me most of when when richie got killed at martinsville that that hurt just because i used to root for him all the time you know he was so smooth all the time Never gotten any wrecks, and then he got killed, and that that really sucked. But yeah, I was probably three or four. We tried it with my brother. My brother's four years my junior, so when I was like I don't know eight or nine, Dad took us both down to Star. And my brother's not a big race fan. <laughs> he wouldn't sit and watch the races. He would be running all over the place, and my dad got so upset with him sometimes. You know, because I just sit there and watch it. You know, and just enjoy watching watching the racing and learning all the time. So. Yeah, you know, that's a, it goes back that far. And the worst summer I ever had was the very first summer I got my license at 16. My dad set me up with a part-time job at WFTN on Saturday nights from 6 to midnight. Oh. I didn't catch any ray. Oh, it's the worst thing in the world. But ultimately what happened that later on that fall is I took a night off. I called in or whatever, and he found the dirt track up to Norway Pine Speedway up in Rumney. Never even knew it was there. I mean, it was only... 40 minutes from the house never even knew the track was there and he, he said you got to come see this so we went up and watched and it was the last race of the year i think and they had a mechanics race it's the first time i ever saw randy howe yeah he, uh, oh, he boy. was yeah he was like 15 years old out in a mechanics race and he was smoking them <laughs> he was on the hammers going just as fast as the big guys were in the feature and they threw the yellow flag with like two to go and they kicked him off the track and Said he wasn't of age, he didn't have his license yet, but boy, that kid was flying, man. That was impressive. That was the first time I've ever seen or heard of him. And then, uh, of course, the next year we started running at uh, No Way Pines. So, when did it start kind of coming into your consciousness that that might be something that you want to try? Oh, I was, I think I was like eight or nine, maybe 10 years old. I told my old man watching Star Speedway. 
at the supers go, I said, I can do that. And he laughed at me, you know, every year I'd say, we can do that. I can do that. I can do that. And he, you know, just be quiet. And then finally, when I got my license, he said, all right, well, we'll put your money where your mouth is. And we went out. My dad had was a, was a, he built a car back in 1965 with my uncle. <clears throat> they ran Waterford Speedball down there in the London, Connecticut. And uh, was it a Beamont or a, what was that? Wait right a minute. Is that, is that Pep? Is that Pep sitting yeah, next to you? That's Pep sitting right next to me. Well, bring him in here. There he is. Here Hi, Pep. If we want stories, this is the guy. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, yeah. So, him and his dad, him and his brother um, built a uh, six cylinder car down to, was it Sportsman Mod or something? Uh, well, it was regular modifies, but it, we ran a six cylinder uh, uh, Plymouth Slant Six. And uh, the, we, we blew it up in practice. Let's put it that way. And it was never the same after that. So, then my brother switched to a Chevy and, and continued running, and I went separate ways at that time yeah, you end up going to vietnam right yeah yeah so yeah so that's when that's how the duval racing started in 1965 um the, that's where the 7x came from and and uh so when when the time came that i you know put my money where my mouth is we built the coupe to run rumney mother mother made sure it was safe at eighth inch steel plate on the inside of the t- uh, inside of the cockpit and oh boy she was safe but she was heavy yeah so we ended up running that in 1987 no, 88. 88 yeah 1988 and that was my rookie year we were able to fortunate enough to win a heat race our third weekend and my uncle would come up come, he'd watch us go and he'd give us some pointers because my uncle donald my dad's brother this fellow he was just talking about he uh he did some driving, um, but Ned, Dad never wanted to drive. He just wanted to crew, and it was uh, it was the start of an era, really. Why, why dirt? Why, why Norway Pines, which people know now as Legion? Uh, if you guys are Ollie Silva fans and you're going Oswego when you're chasing the supers, yeah, why, well, why did you go dirt racing? For, for to be honest with you, it's just about money. You know, you could build a coupe up here to Romney. Make it out of truck parts, you know. You can make it out of used. Heck, we go to Lebanon Valley when the Outlaws are running. Honestly, God, the, the first three years we ran, we went to Lebanon Valley and we took every takeoff that they threw. They left in the in the infield. We just take them all up. We bring them home. We went down with a truck, threw them in the back of the truck. We must have come home with fifty tires, you know. And we we threw the ones that we thought would be the best, and then we bolt them on and run. That's back and didn't have tire rule, you know. And and it was just cheaper, close to home. Something that mother was a lot slower than a super, you know, a lot slower than a midget. And uh, mom wasn't too overly thrilled about us racing. But once she saw how that the speeds were not as fast as, as what they could have been down at Star, or, you know, Lee or Thompson or something like that. So she was a little bit more uh, relaxed when it came to that. But uh, that was just basically it. He just, we just wanted to see whether or not I actually, you know, had the talent for it, you know, and uh, the, f- the first practice day. I got going fairly decent, and I stuffed it right in the fence, <laughs> tore the whole right hand side of the car up. And the old man looked at Bones, our longtime crew, crew member, and said, "Boy, it's gonna be a long year." <laughs> I come or, in, or I, a short one. <laughs> yeah, right. I come in, and I was almost crying. You know, I'm like, "Dad, I'm so sorry." So don't worry about it. You're all right. We can rebuild it. Luckily, we had two or three front axles. We, had, we got a lot of uh, old dirt modified stuff that uh, my uncle Donald knew, John coal out of um, Torrington, Connecticut. So we went all the way down there and picked up everything that he had from the late early seventies. You know, it was a 69 Tobias. It was the last of the 
two by four Tobias cars he ran. He built, I think, something like that. Last car that Toby built. And uh, so we ran that for the first first three, four years, three years, I guess. And then uh, progressively got a little bit faster, finished uh, outside the points in 15th the first year. But the second year we finished fifth. And then the third year we won the championship and backed it up again in the next year, which is 92, I think it was, or 91. And then uh, and then went up to Bear Ridge. It's a funny story there, too. Uh, sorry, you guys want to want to ask a question or you just want me to keep talking? <laughs> I don't. I don't know if we've had anybody who's really talked about that era at oh. Norway, uh, Norway oh. Pines. So, I mean, you guys are super fans, and you had you had the option to run a wing. <laughs> you know, the oh, yeah. it was totally just a wild looking race car that they ran up there. Yeah, it really was. You know, and um, we the speeds weren't enough really, so that the wing would really affect too much. I, the first couple of years, I'd say. And then we started getting a little bit faster and getting more traction, and the wings kind of helped out then. But the first couple of years, we really weren't going that as fast as as the wing would really make an effect. Um, but uh, you know, it looked cool. Yeah, it looked pretty neat with the coupe of the wing on top of it. The first three weeks, we actually ran it without a wing, and um, and then bolted the wing on uh, just for more advertisement capability. You know, because the big panels, you can certainly put a couple more of a uh, more sponsors up there uh but that that that, um that that time at Romney man they had two divisions they ran the sportsman coupes and they ran the the late late models and they had 30 cars each man and it was tough it was tough sledding you had because they separated the heats they would put the top third top 10 cars they would run in in points they'd run them in the third heat the uh, 10 to 20 they would put in the second heat and then the 20 to 30 were in the first heat so they ran them kind of backwards like that. And you really, you had to hustle, you know, when you're ninth in points and they're, they're you know, yeah, when you're ninth in points and the top guys are taking the top four, top five, then you're in a Conci and you got, you're going to have, you know, you, they, they handicapped them. So you, you starting back, it was tough. It was tough. And, uh, it was it was cool. Good competition. It was a small track. The track is reconfigured now. It's all turned sideways now. Before it was back in back in the pines, really, when they called it Norway Pines, but uh, it was a lot smaller. But we were up there on the second or third groove, just letting it all hang out, you know, and having fun, having fun until you win a lot. And then, not too, a lot of people don't like it too much when you win a lot, so they <laughs> they stop talking to you, and now you're not their friend and. Uh, sometimes you can, you know, sometimes it doesn't, uh, doesn't help camaraderie, but, uh, it is what it is. So who were some of the heavy hitters that you were running with at that point? I was just about to tell you because it just, some of this just came to light here in the last month or so when we lost Jack Cook, Jack was, Jack was a kingpin at at Norway Pines for many years. Uh, very, obviously super nice guy, you know, gentleman Jack is, he, he, he wore that nickname, it was like a badge of honor. He was he was always gentleman to us, and and his crew chief uh, Jerry uh, Gunrid was always nice to dad. And when we were trying to, we'd ask questions, and he'd help us. You know, and Jack never lied to us. He just told us the way it was, and and he expected to beat us on the track, and and he wouldn't. He kicked my ass many a year, you know, many a races, and and unfortunately, we just lost him over the winter. He went through the ice there up there at uh, Berry Pond, and uh, so we were at his uh, his wake there on uh, Thursday, like probably a month ago now and and saw a lot of old Rumney, a lot of old Norway Pines um 
camaraderie, old friends and, and co and you know, co-competitors and and um, you know yeah, and then you know, I I put a post up on Facebook about losing two out of the three. So the other the other two in my book um was Bill Moses. Big Bill Moses was he was on the hammer all the time and that guy was a true competitor. He hated to lose. Hated to lose, but was always very respectful. And then um we lost him to cancer probably oh Jesus, maybe six, seven years ago. It's all kind of running through my head now, but maybe longer than that. But he uh he was tough, man. It was a funny story. We're leading Canaan in the sportsman coop days after we had left Rumney. Canaan just opened up in 91 or 92 <clears throat> and the six cylinder division. And I was leading and the yellow came out and here comes this, I can hear it. Just, you know, the, the, his six cylinder, the, he always ran a Ford straight six and, and he pulls up next to me and he, and, he, and it dies quiet. And then he pulled up next to me again. I'm like, what is going on? I look over and he's looking at me smiling and the, the throttle stuck. So the only way he can keep the car at a low pace <laughs> Was to kill hit, hit the kill switch as he got by me, and he turned it back on. He turned it back off. He turned it back on. He smiled. You can see the you can see the smile through the helmet. I'm like, this guy will not quit. This guy is just on hammer all the time. And uh, so you know, being the being the mischievous young fellow that I was, we were running restart, and he was on the outside of me, and I heard you know he get ahead of me and coming to green, and just as soon as he killed it, I I hit the gas. <laughs> He took off. He finished second, I think, that night. And he come in at the after the races. He come over. He says, "I knew you were going to do that." He says, <laughs> "He says nothing I can do." I says, "I know." <laughs> but yeah, unfortunately, we lost him a few years ago. And then the, the last one, you know, there were a lot of good race, a lot of good races at, at Rumney back in the day. You know, um, Woody McLeod was there, and he ran really well. Um, yeah, he's he passed too. John Buckland was was around, but he's yeah, I think he's still alive. But the other one there is uh, Frank Como. Frank Como was a fantastic yeah. wheel man. Yeah, uh, he fa- thankfully he's still alive. We still see him. His boy um, Troy runs the uh, sprint cars. I think still he tried uh, sprint cars in England for a while, and he did fairly decent. Um, but Franny, he, he, he was good uh, in a late model and a modified too. Troy, yep, absolutely, absolutely, yep, absolutely. And it takes a you know, it takes a lot to go from a big, heavy car like that to a sprint car because you just you have so much more power than you do car, and um, it takes a lot of car control. But his dad, Franny, was fantastic through. He taught me yeah. a lot just by watching him coming through traffic. He was masterful when it came to traffic. He saw stuff way ahead of time. And frankly, probably <clears throat> probably helped us the most, um, Not him not knowing it was just watching him not have to force a hole, you know, he would get any back off and then, and then they'd screw up and then he'd go. And uh, I try to emulate that a little bit. I try to see stuff before it happens and, and not force an issue too much. And, and it's the only reason we could keep running really, because we didn't have a lot of very big sponsors, but we didn't, we didn't crash much. You know what I mean? We didn't really get in a lot of wrecks and didn't have to replace too much stuff. So between those through those three, those were the big Ken Bings at Norway Pines from the time that I was there in, in 88 to 92 or 93. And uh, after that, it kind of changed a little bit. The, the landscape changed. Um, they turned the track and they tried to keep up. Yeah, we went to the ridge and they, uh, the wings came into play, modified to the big wings on top. And we actually were actually running dirt modified chassis then. Um, you know, when I first started, they were running home built chassis. You know, they were running the old coupe chassis and, then the store brought stuff got became more prevalent because you get out the Lebanon Valley and get a cheap, 
you know, sportsman car or whatever and put a coupe body on it. And so I think that just the landscape changed a little bit and uh, they tried to keep up with the times, try to make the track a little bit bigger. Canaan came into play and that was a bigger track and that was doing well. So, uh, yeah, No Way Pines was, was fun. Didn't pay much, <laughs> but it was fun. Probably the most fun we had racing, to be honest. I mean, we bought a whole car, all the stuff that we bought for three hundred dollars. We had the whole chassis, had the whole body, had rear end, front ends, more multiple front ends, all, but all old stuff. I mean, we're talking drop front axle stuff. We're talking heavy stuff, and uh, so it didn't cost us too much, but blood and sweat. But yeah, it was a lot of fun. Did you guys yeah. ever think about tinkering around with anything with, you know, quarter panels and full bodies? Uh, we did um, when the modified game came into play in 92 or 93, Tammy, Tammy, I met my, my girlfriend at the time, now wife of 30 something years. Uh, You better get this right. It's on the record. We're married since 94. So it's coming up on 30, but we, uh, we worked our butt off at, at the local mill over here. We worked third shift and I was racing and we wanted a new car. So we, we worked our butt off to save up five grand and we went out to Lebanon Valley and bought uh the reclamation 33 car from middletown it's a 90 90 troyer i think it was this is like 92 or 93 so it was only a couple years older and that's when we had the full real troy mud bus body and race car yeah race car yeah that's a real that was that was our first real race car and then we sold the coupe and and went uh racing full-time at bear ridge and then we tried doubles bowl in 95 after we won the bear ridge title a couple times Mm -hmm. sunday nights at bear at doubles bowl Oof. That was against Tremont and all them guys were over there, you know. Sure. Yeah. Donnie Ackner. Oh yeah, Donnie Ackner yeah. and the Rockas yeah. and the sixty. Uh, we actually ran against CD a couple times, I think, yeah. over there. Yeah. Yeah. So now, that, was, that was brutal Sunday night. And, and I would think that you guys have a pretty sizable toe ahead of you after that's over on Sunday nights, right? I mean, you're, you're getting was, home late. Well, yeah, that was the problem. We're doing all with the pickup truck, and you know, especially when if it was a a night where, you know, um, Kenny was running a, C, a super dirt show somewhere else on a Sunday afternoon and they would wait for him to come in for the feature and they didn't run the feature till like 10 or 10 30. That was back when C, was it CJ? Yeah. And he was, he would wait for the guys to come in. Man, we wouldn't get done the feature till midnight, you know, 1230. And we had three and a half hour till get back here. I mean, it was one time where I was scheduled to be at work at like six in the morning. Hell, I just stayed up, you know, made no sense to go to sleep for an hour. So. It was tough, too, because 89 is, I don't know if you know, but 89 from, like, White River down to Concord, it is, like, the worst traveled road in New England because mm-hmm. everybody falls asleep, yep. and it's so easy to fall asleep. So we had we tried to keep awake and keep the other one awake, and it wore on us for quite a bit. Towing with a, with a pickup truck is tough. It really is to, to go that far. So that's one of the reasons why we ended up investing in a, in a camper so that we could, you know, kind of be a little bit more comfortable. Yeah, and one thing that I wanted to mention was your haulers have always been so cool. Oh, thanks. You know, <laughs> well, you know, those were only out of necessity, really. You know, we uh, we originally had the pickup truck, and then we ended up going to uh, the dually. Bones Bones bought a dually. We told about that for years. We had a an Allegro thirty uh, foot motorhome, and the uh, first trip we ever took with it was what. We went back to dirt. We ran asphalt for a couple of years, and Tammy and I decided to take over the finances from the old man. And uh, we ended up 
getting that motorhome and an enclosed trailer. We got a 28 foot enclosed trailer. The first trip we took, we went down to where the hell did we go? We went to Middletown. 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 Oh my God, on a Saturday night. And we wanted to stop in down to Connecticut, which is where my dad's folks were, and that's where his brother lives. And we stopped in there to visit them on Saturday morning, and we couldn't open the camper door, the side door, because <laughs> there was so, so much pressure that the, the camper was bowing in the middle. Oh my God. Oh yeah, it was brutal. <laughs> so so we get all the way down to Middletown, and oh God, yeah. So, had, to had to get out the driver's door. Couldn't couldn't open the other door. Jack underneath the tongue of the trailer. Jack the tongue of the trailer up to take the the pressure off of it. You know. Yeah. And we didn't do too bad at Middletown. We we qualified for the show out of thirty cars. That was three fifty eight back in the day. That's our first and only time running down there. Yeah. And um, I think we're running like fifteenth. I think we finished like fifteenth or sixteenth somewhere down somewhere in there. But um, so we loaded back up. And we're going to go run. Um, Malta was a first race on that Sunday on the way home. So we drove up to Malta and, uh, <laughs> and we couldn't get out the door, <laughs> get out the door. The next couple of weeks, we decided that the old man figured out some type of dolly system to put on the front of the trailer. So that, uh, took the weight off of the, off of the camper that year. We actually ran Frogtown full year. We ran out to Frogtown, um, or now what is Mohawk international speedway. Wow. Yeah. That was a tow on Saturday nights, but that wasn't too bad. Yeah. Five and a half hours. We would go out, Head up 89, go all up at top 89, get to Burlington, and then we'd take a ferry over to Plattsburgh, and then we'd take that up the 194 up to whatever that Route 11 is, and then up into Frogtown, but uh, up at Akawasani um, Indian Reservation. It wasn't so bad. On a Saturday, we'd just leave at 8 or 9 in the morning. We'd take our time going up, and then Saturday night, we'd just spend a night right there. We met a lot of great people there. That was a lot of fun, and um, got to befriend in, uh, Pierre Dagenet and all them guys up there, they were fast. Kevin and Federley. Yeah, Kevin Federley. And then we would just take our time coming home Sunday morning, so it wasn't a big deal. You know? But Mike Parati yeah, was yeah. running up there for the Adirondack cars. Sure. Yeah, we were parked right next to him, and he slipped, right? He slipped? He slipped? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Dave. Yeah. He slipped. yeah, what a nice old fellow he was, man. He was such a cool guy. Yeah, Mark Hitchcock. I think he's Mark Hitchcock still runs. Billy Cook. Heck, you got. Billy Cook, I think he just passed away. Did he pass? I think he... Yeah. Oh. Oh, I didn't hear You've that. You've got uh, Ovid Dwaran uh, and guys like that up there. I mean, oh, some, yeah? there's Leo. some stout competition. Yeah, and Leon Gagno. Leon Gagno. Leon Gagno. We, Leon, we, we yeah. were the only other four besides Leon. And uh, we befriended him. We were friends ever yeah. since. And then, unfortunately, you know, we passed the, at Devil's Bowl. And that was a shame. But he was, him and his family, fantastic people. Absolutely fantastic people. Well, and he he kind of left this world the way that every racer would love to go too. Boy, I wish you yeah. a flag in your hand, you know. <laughs> That's it, you know. I don't have to worry about me catching cancer or nothing else, you know. I'll do it that way ten ten times out of ten if I could. But we don't uh, we don't we don't make that pick, you know. Yeah, yeah. So then we ended up going to that. We built a. Well, hang, hang on, hang top. on. You're getting you're getting you're getting far ahead here. Oh, sorry. <laughs> we- <laughs> sorry. I, I see Tom. I see Tom kind of. Chomping at the bit over there. <laughs> oh yeah, go for it, Tom. What do you got? So, tell us a little bit about. Well, you said your girlfriend at the time. It must be a special person to be okay with the amount of travel and time that you're logging every single week. Yeah, I uh, I'm very fortunate. A very I got really really lucky. She uh, we met on a blind date. As a matter of fact, the the person who painted our car, our very first car. Um, it's, it was his, his niece and, uh, 
we were always they were in high school and and she was kind of dating somebody i was always dating somebody and finally we ultimately ended up not dating at the same time and they set us up on a blind date and fell in love with the first time i met her basically and uh you know i told her i said look i says you know i don't do anything i don't i don't dance i don't smoke i don't drink i don't do drugs i race i'm either in a race shop with my old man or i'm going to a racetrack or i'm at the races one of the three or i'm still going to school at the time uh, high, uh college you know and she said okay i says you know it's going to be tough if you if you fall in love with a race car driver don't fall in love with a race car driver she said it was too late already so <laughs> it was uh right from the beginning and and you know she never she never made me made me decide you know never made, made never made um, never complained about it she used to come all the time back before we had kids. She would come all the time. She was in the races at the pits all the time and actually active part of the crew for a while. And then we had had Courtney, our first one, and and um, she came with us quite a bit. Um, one wasn't so bad, but the minute you start getting too difficult. So we ended up with a second girl, um, Alexa. She's now 20, so about halfway through my career. And, and it got tough for her to make the toes, you know, going all the way out and dealing with a baby and everything else. So she, uh, as it went on, when we hit ESS, she didn't come to too many races. Um, it was just too long of a go. Um, and of course we had the third kid by then and, and Madison and it was, uh, difficult to, to logistics were just brutal, but she never said no, you know, she never stopped. And then, um, you know, uh, we did it for 32 years and I, you know, I, she asked, she asked me one time, how long are we going to do this? You know, and that's when we we're like in our thirties. I said, well, either till I, if till I suck or I'm 50. And she kind of held me to that a little bit and that's fine, you know, and, uh, cause she deserved it. I mean, we ran 32 years and 30 of them were with her and, uh, you know, and then the, ultimately the, uh, the big one took care of that anyway, but cut us short by a year because we were going to stop the next year. We we're just going to go wingless. Actually, I was going to run with the USAC wingless crew down there in Pennsylvania. Cause I thought that was a little bit slower and we could be more competitive um, and see the tracks and race on the tracks that I wanted to, wanted to, I've only seen before. So that one year took care of it. But yeah, Tammy was, uh, she's my, she's my soulmate. She's my heart and soul. She was, she's, she was a freaking saint when it came to the, to the issues that we had afterwards. Um, after the uh, after the wreck, so she she's earned every bit of uh, downtime. As a matter of fact, we just took our first long vacation. We went to St. John's for nine days without kids, and uh, did nothing but sit on the beach and drink cocktails with coconut. Hell yeah! Well, congrats on that. A couple yeah. things from that. One, I just want to highlight that you grouped dancing with drugs and alcohol. <laughs> that happened. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, that's, uh, uh, yeah, I just do it. You know, that was one thing that when when we started racing, I was I was seventeen or sixteen when I started racing, and uh, either I was in the garage with the old man, or I was at a racetrack. So I was never really out in the party scene as a as a high schooler. You know what I mean? I didn't get in, I didn't get a chance to get in trouble with a bunch of my friends in high school. Got you know arrested because they were drinking underage and all that stuff. And it just never came into play. Didn't want to do it. Didn't need to do it. Was either in the garage trying to get better or, or at the track trying to race. And uh, and so that's, you know, that was one good thing that, that Tammy recognized that I didn't, I wasn't in trouble. You know, I wasn't in jail. I wasn't being yelled at by my folks or anybody else trying to get home, you know, at a decent hour or whatever. So 
uh, didn't really come into play. That was one thing that I, I truly believe it, even till today, I believe that, you know, a family that races together stays together, you know, and you can see it. You see it all the time, no matter what racetrack you go to, whether it's asphalt or dirt or anywhere. If you see a family, they're there working as one unit and it becomes so unwritten that you do, you just, that's what you do. And, and you learn so much to race and rather, whether it's how to be disappointed, right? Cause we know the ups and downs of this sport, right? The highs are so high, but the lows can be so extremely low, but you learn how to live with that. And these kids these days, sometimes out there, you know, there's really not that much going on. So when the kids, you know, they come to the racetrack and you get spun out or you blow a tire leading or, you know, you work so hard to do something that something happens beyond your control. Eh, you know, it happens, you know, you work through it and you try to get better. So I think that really helps my kids. My, fortunately for, for us, they, they turned out real good. Tammy did a fantastic job with the kids. And, well, you, uh, you mentioned after the third, especially after the third, that, you know, they couldn't travel that much anymore. And that's a pretty big sacrifice on your end as well. Did the travel and that sacrifice get harder on you? At that point, I mean, we had Justin who just recently decided to make a change in his life because he was done making that sacrifice. Yep. No. And um, we actually quit. We re- we quit in 2009 and didn't run. We quit at the end of 2008 season and didn't run uh, one season in between. And uh, we were home with the kids all the time and they really enjoyed it. But they could tell that I wasn't uh, very happy. So when the opportunity came back to uh, go back racing, um, I the the sprint car, um, I talked to them first. Talked to Tammy and said, "Hey, you know, I've, I've been offered a car. We can take the car, go run on the, the sprint cars of New England circuit." Um, but I thought about um, asking you first, obviously, and then. Um, ask the kids. So we said, Tammy said, well, if the kids want you to do it, then we can do it. So we sat around the dinner table and said, Hey, here's the opportunity to go back racing again. And, and all three of them screamed like, yes, let's go racing. And I was kind of taken aback because cool. I don't know if it's because they, they realized how much I missed it, but I think they missed it too. You know what I mean? They had a, they had an out every, every Saturday they were going somewhere every, you know, we ended up having the car at my house, which was a huge change. Before we'd have it at my dad's place down in Tilton, and it was like 25 minutes away. So I would Tuesday, Tuesday, Thursday be down there. Friday be racing, Saturday be racing, Sunday would be back down there cleaning the car or whatever. And then Monday was basically our day off, and then Tuesday, Thursday again. And what really got going was when the kids got old enough to go to AAU, play AAU basketball. Now you're talking weekends, not just you know during the week, um, which I could kind of finagle to see some games. Um, and of course, winter, they're big into basketball and I was a basketball coach. So we really weren't, weren't doing too much then, but when it got to be an AAU and they do that through May through June every week, and I'm like, I'm racing, you know, and I missed a lot. I missed a lot of Courtney's games. I missed a lot of Alexi's games and that wore on me. Um, I, I bet if you ask them without me around, it probably bothered them, but they will never tell you that when I'm around. And, and I'm a little disappointed that I missed some of that stuff, but at the same time, it is, it's, you know, what it's what I did. And they knew that right from the beginning, as did Courtney. It's just what that did, you know. Let's get back into the, <clears throat> into the racing. And just before we started recording, um, we, we kind of started to bring this up. You, I found a picture of you 
with a checkered flag in your hand in your coupe with a wing on it at of all places white mountain motorsports park oh with, that's right. with no walls like yeah. the place is brand new um yep. please tell me what the hell's going on there <laughs> well they actually came the owners of the place came down to rumney uh during the during the year i think it was the year before or just the beginning of that year and asked if they, if they had if they built a track an asphalt track would we go and run it Norway Pines actually did that down to Hudson, I think, a couple of years yeah. before I before I got there. They would just take the dirt cars off and run them down to Hudson. And that's the coops and you know, it's old school. So it was it was pretty cool down there because the lower you go in the state, the closer you get to Massachusetts and then Con- Connecticut and Thompson and all that big modified country, you know. So so yeah, they they asked us if we would come over and run on the asphalt. And we're originally we we're like, eh, whatever, you know. But then the opportunity came up and we're like, well, it's a nice day. What the hell? We'll go and uh enjoyed it. Awesome track, man. I wish they put dirt on that thing, man. I'm telling you, that would be an awesome dirt track. Yeah, it but yeah, it was a beautiful, they ended up building a beautiful track, high banked, really fast, um, in the middle of a big gravel pit, basically, at the time. And uh, it was just at the time, uh, maybe the year afterwards, they started running V8s at Canaan. So we had a couple of guys come in with V8s, and then we had one guy come and show up on Asphalt Modified. Who the heck was that guy? The guy from Beach Ridge. Yeah, a fellow from Beach Ridge came over and kicked our butt with an asphalt modified. But um, uh, uh, Willie Elliott. Yes, yeah. that's it. Willie Absolutely, Willie, Willie Elliott. Elliott. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and um, so you know he he backed off. He made it a show. He didn't absolutely kill us, although he could have. Um, but yeah, we had probably I don't know five or six, seven races over there, and put asphalt slicks on it. Found some sprint car stuff, uh, super modified stuff. Had the wing on it. And uh, I think we want to show there and uh, it was just cool. Yeah. You know, it was just one of them deals that you got to get the car, right? Asphalt. We tried asphalt twice outside of that, which you, what we just talked about. We tried asphalt modifieds and the first time was in 1999 at Claremont. And then we did it again in 2007 or 2008 when we decided to, it was the last one, true value modified series because they got rid of the 358s up the double at the bear Ridge. Right. So they were going back to the crate motors, and we weren't going to do that. We had too much invested in the 358s, and we just couldn't do the the Out West tour anymore. So we decided we'd try to put it into um, on the asphalt at uh, the True Value Modified Series. It was just taking off at the time. They were running pretty decent purse, and uh, it was you know wasn't all the big heavy hitters at the time. And um, that just asphalt's no fun, man. <laughs> it's just boring. So well, you, you won some races though. Oh, yeah, we won quite a few races, especially the first time we ran um, in 99 um, at Claremont. We ran two years. We ran the first year at Claremont the whole, whole season, and then we went back to run a second season. And we won. We finished the best I did was ever finished third there at Claremont in the Modified. But we went over to Canaan because they were starting up that asphalt track. They just built the asphalt track, and they won the Modifieds over there. I think we won seven or eight shows over there. Eight shows, yeah. So we did okay. But I tell you, the, 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 the biggest thing for us, we finished second at the um, Oktoberfest at Lee in 2000, I think it was. And then um, what we also did was uh, we went down and ran the Riverside Park Speedway last ride. We oh. made that show. The final ride. The yeah. final ride. Really? We made that show. Yep. We never qualified very well. The only time I ever qualified well on asphalt was at Riverside Park. You know why? Because the fast lane was up on the fence. Yeah. You go in the corner and it drift it way up to the fence, and you come back off the corner and you go back up and hit the hit the fence again and come off. And I wasn't never afraid of hitting the fence, so we 
we ran we we qualified 18th out of 24 and uh they had yeah they had almost 50 cars there to qualify but we we qualified and then uh didn't run very well in the feature the tire that we had on was a little too soft and fortunately i came in we're overheating the fan blew a fuse in the fan so it was overheating so i just pulled it into the infield and waited and fortunately i did that because two laps later the car pack that i was running with just destroyed it all up in a big wad but but yeah, so that was one of our one of our best. I would say a highlight for us in our career was running the last ride at Riverside Park Speedway. I thought that yeah, was pretty, pretty cool. Man. Yeah, mm-hmm. yep, yep, that was pretty neat. So yeah, White, White Mountain was pretty cool, and that of course now it's a it's a pretty decent place. I mean, they put a lot of yeah. grass down. Last time I was up there was probably uh, probably eight years ago. But my my daughter went because her boyfriend was a crew member on one of the teams, and she said it's a really nice place. So they've done a lot of good work with it. But I wish they put dirt on that thing, man. Good night. Yeah, <laughs> I bet you do. <laughs> well, not anymore. No, yeah, no, you're right. Did, yeah. I wish yeah. they did it at Lee too. You know, Lee would be would be a fast place. Wow. Yeah. 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 That was a pretty neat place. Well, we see what's going to happen in New Hampshire either. Yeah. Right. New Hampshire Motor Speedway with their their dirt deal too. Yeah. yeah. We'll see. But yeah, that's that was that's how it came to be. White Mountain Park. They came down to ask all the guys that they would go up and run. We said, sure. What the hell? So asphalt tires on them and off we went then they got more cars more became more an asphalt race than a a dirt modified or a dirt coupe race because you know uh, gary siemens came over and ran that with us yeah uh chris donnelly ran over there for a while yeah he ran over there as well yeah 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 he showed up in an actual modified i think right yeah yep has there ever been a track you wouldn't try yeah uh well i i told the wife this but um ultimately we ended up not doing it anyway but i told her before we before we got the sprint car she said you're not going to fonda with that thing are you i'm like no no we don't want to do that Fonda's stupid fast you know you're staring right at the fourth turn wall when you're coming around yep. oh i didn't tell her that but we ended up going to fonda a couple times with the with the sprint car and actually qualified real well we qualified fourth one night out of all of the 30 cars that we had so really that was 30 seconds of just holding my breath for and putting it on the 10 you know um, but besides that, no, uh, we ran the, the Valley with the modified, we ran the race of Kings, Hunter Lapper, 358 back in the day. Yeah. Um, yeah. I wouldn't think, I don't, I don't know if I'd really want to run a sprint car there. Um, I would, and I would run it the way it's meant to be run, but I would, I would be worried about going over the fence. There's when you wreck there, you're wrecking hard, you know, I, I mean, live in a really, valley. Yeah. I live in a valley. Yeah. Well, yeah. I was going to say at Fonda, if you wreck and turn one, you're on the street. If you wreck and turn two, you're in the river. You wreck yeah, and yeah. turn three, you're in the pits. Wreck and turn four, you're in the grandstand. So that's, that's yeah, no exactly. picnic either. Yeah, no, no, not at all. And I just kind of put that on my mind, uh, out of my mind when we ran those those couple of shows because they were one of the closer ones for us. You know, ESS is all out west or up in Canada. So it was only, I mean, Fonda's four and a half hours, so that's not bad. But we run Fonda, and then we scoot over to Devil's Bowl on Sunday afternoon after we ran Fonda on Saturday night and run with you guys, so. You guys being double bowl there back when you worked for them. Yeah. There aren't really any other tracks that I wouldn't run. The the 2000s were, were good to you um, in the modified on dirt. Um, you know, you were pretty much unbeatable at Bear Ridge and Canaan for quite a stretch there. I mean, it's – trust me, there's we know that there's a lot of good guys over there. Um, Randy Howe and Donald Scarborough and Vince Quinville and, you know, all the locals from Bear Ridge, the Pearsons, and, you know, there's a million of them. But you guys were really on your game. 
Yeah, thanks. We uh, so we came back from the asphalt in '99, and that's when I when when Tammy and I took over the finances. We went out west for a couple of years running. We ran the 358 um, Super Dirt Series through Canada um, in 2000, and we came back to Canaan and Bear Ridge in 2001. After traveling, we really improved. We got we got our our program was better, and I was better as a driver, and we really got to understand what the car needed and what I needed. <clears throat> and uh yeah we there was some really good guys there man we used to have a there was a wednesday show that they would bring in bob mccready remember back in the day and uh that was interesting because we had i think we had hearn and tremont there too we had some big yep. names the yeah, place right. was at yeah. yeah canaan and uh ran wheel to wheel with with um kenny for a little while and then and then brett and i think we finished third to those guys i think so yeah no thanks we were uh we won quite a few races in that stretch. Um, and then they did away with the, the 358s and went to the 602s, um, which to us, you know, that's that's just too slow. Yeah, they outlawed my motors. Yeah, they outlawed them. They didn't like the Fords that we ran. But it was, uh, it was, it was, I mean, back in the, that day, we were running Friday and Saturday nights. We were running Friday at Canaan, Saturday at, 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 um, at uh, Bear Ridge. And we'd even run a few Sundays at Devil's Bowl. We got in probably 55 shows. You know, we ran a lot. Jeez, we ran a lot. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, but if, for us, Canaan was only 45 to 50 minutes away, which is a walk in the park when you compare to Frogtown or Granby or any of them other ones, you know. And Devil uh, <clears throat> uh, Bear Ridge is just up over the mountain, so it really isn't that bad. So it got to be pretty easy. You know, not easy. Of course, we did a lot of work, you know. We had a good crew back then too. We probably had five or six guys who would show up on Tuesday or Thursday night, depending. And the old man had some help. We had some help in the in the garage because modifies are brutal. I don't know, man. It just takes so much effort to keep all the tin straight, keep all the tires right, grinding the tires, maintenance in the car, all of that stuff, you know. And so much harder than a sprint car. And uh, we had a good crew. Crew didn't mind going, and they didn't mind they didn't mind working. So we tried to do as much work in the garage as we could. We tried not to touch the car. We'd set it up for the feature. We'd just take whatever we got in the heat race, which was usually pretty decent anyway. And and uh, so we tried to to be as calm in the pits as we could, you know, try to do as much work. Sometimes you see a lot of guys pulling there. It seems like the first first time they put the hit the hood up was when they got back to the track, you know. And just never we didn't we didn't treat it like that. We treated it like, you know, the championships are one in the in the garage and races are one on the on the track so we just try to do as much as we could in the garage with that kind of success usually brings some unique opportunities did anyone ever try to like let you mess around with a late model or give you any any cool opportunities yeah, yeah we ran a late model one time at claremont back when we ran asphalt to claremont there that was that was tough i was it was always difficult for me i mean i'm a larger guy um, but even back in the day, I'm more tall than I was anybody else, you know, and, uh, it's tough to fit in some of the seats they had and the pedals were always really short. So we ran a midget at whip city one yeah, time. I was always, I was going to ask you how, and how did you get into a midget? Cause you did it a lot. Yeah, we did it quite a few times. Uh, the first time was in my, my father's, my, my father's brother, my uncle's car. And that one, I just kind of poured myself into, I couldn't even hardly move in that thing. And. It was got so bad. We're leading the feature. You get no power steering in the thing. We're leading the feature, and my arms have fallen off. I caught a caution, and I'm just, just so tight in there. I loosened up the the belts going out in the back stretch just to get a little bit of air, and 
I forgot to tighten them up before I hit the flag stand. So now I'm going into turn one and I'm trying to tighten the belt back up again. And uh, we ended up finishing third, I think. And I came in and I said, that's the last time I ever run a race without power steering again. But yeah, the midgets are, you just kind of have to want to, you know, we ran chili bowl twice, once in 05 and 0, and then again in 06. And um, I told, I had the guy on the phone, right? I was waiting, I weighed, I think I weighed 260 when I was uh, in 2005. Yeah. And uh, I got the call from a guy out of California who wanted to run, run, run his car. He said, well, how tall are you? I said, I'm six, two and a half. He's oh, he how big are you? I said, oh, I'm like 220. And my old man looks at me. And I was two, 260 at the time. I had 40 pounds on me. He says, oh, well, I guess we can make that work. So I had to lose, I had to lose 40 pounds before I went. And I did. I went into, I did the, the Atkins deal and lost like 50 pounds. I was 210 when I, when I walked into the Chili Bowl. And, uh, yeah, then we had to move the seat, had to get the seat wider, and it was just a mess. But back in the day, you didn't have practice day. You had the day, Wednesday was your first race, and it was Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, the three nights of practice, three nights of qualifying, and then Saturday was a big one. This is back in 05. But they didn't have practice day. So the only practice I had were two laps on, on race night, and we were pushing the car in the parking lot just so I could get on the brake pedal and the gas pedal and get the thing fired off. Oh, my God. So, took a while to get comfortable in it but once we were comfortable we were okay i can't imagine those things on asphalt dude i don't know down to thompson those things are i mean a full-fledged midget oh, yeah just yeah. crazy Nuts. so yeah we had a couple of different opportunities i drove for sam sam what was sam's last name so yeah sam smith down at canaan one year um just so he can get some more time and and that worked out okay they drove for albie that's right yeah i drove for rc albie out of uh, Bear Ridge, there he's a big sponsor of Butch. We ran an open, the open show at the end of the year, yeah. Canaan Cup, I think it was. Yeah. And then, um, uh, not too much after that. I didn't really try to go and actively pursue. I did it early, earlier when I was younger. I tried to find money to we couldn't run a, maybe a Bush car or, or an asphalt modified car, and they all wanted to know how much money I was bringing. And we just we never had that. You know what I mean? We always did it ourselves and. A lot of our friends would help us out and businesses that my dad knew or friends that he knew had businesses and, and really didn't have a lot of big payroll behind us. So we, we didn't really have the opportunity to bring that, but that's one thing I always thought I would do is run a super one time. I thought that was, that was kind of my goal because I grew up watching them, you know, and they're just an awesome machine and, uh, but never had the opportunity. I can live with it. I'm all right. You know, you, a couple of times you mentioned Fords. Uh, you always ran the Ford Motors when it was available. Um, and the orange paint scheme is, you know, iconic. And the 7X, where did all that come from? The uh, Ford was basically my old man. Um, he worked at a Ford dealership here for three years, was always a Ford fan. And so when we started running, we ran the, uh, the Sportsman Coupe was a uh, six-cylinder division. So Ford had a really good, obviously, a 600, 300, 300 cubic inch straight six. And uh, that, that was the one we started on, and we used that same one, and we had a sponsor, a friend of my – actually, it's a friend of – an old boyfriend of my mom's, actually, from EIS Brake Parts, actually got us uh, some enough money to build a good motor, and then uh, that's when we won the first championship. with. But Ford just kind of stuck with us. I don't like to be the same as everybody else, you know, and uh, like to beat the Chevrolets, you know. Now, but did you, did Ford, 
I mean, Ford from Detroit or, or motorsports program, did they ever notice that? I mean, they, they got behind Dave Dion a little bit because he was a Ford guy. They did. Um, we actually had an in with them. We met the fella at the New Hampshire Motor Speedway back when they built it the very first time over there. We had a, my dad was invited to one of those meet and greets with Bill Elliott or whatever and met the SVO guy. And we had contact with him and he actually got us hooked up with the, the SVO head. So when the, when the small block, Besides the Yates motors, they they built these end heads, and they were just for pro stocks and 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 small block motors. The Hooters Cup back in the day, and um, so he then they would give us no money, but he he set us up with where to get them. And uh, no, they never really came calling, which you know, we're just a small little deal up here in New Hampshire, so I didn't really expect it. But we we enjoyed running the Fords. We went through five of them in one year. So that was that was a little rough. Still won the championship of Bear Ridge, by the way, with five blown motors. Don't ask me how we did that. But God. but uh yeah, so then when we ran the first asphalt asphalt modified, we put the Ford in there, blew that up. But a Chevrolet came with us, we put the Chevrolet back in. And then um obviously went back to the three fifty eight, the Fords. And uh what really helped us really take off in the two thousands was we went and bought a real carburetor. We went down to VDL in, in North Carolina and bought at the time, $1,200 carburetor, which is huge money to us. And it just made that motor come alive. It was just awesome. It was just awesome. So for the, for the sprint car deal, we would not have been able to do that with, without Randy's help. Randy loaned us his, his Gertie that he, he had built the year before. And we ran the Chevrolet there. I would have loved to run a Ford. My, my buddy, Dave Axon, he's got two of them now. And uh, those are, those make great power. We watched Cobra. Um, has Chuck even go by us multiple times with his Ford power. Yep. So yep. We, ended, we ended up being the Ford guy and the orange, you know what, you know where the orange came from? It was, what was it? What's the orange story? Oh, uh, it's an Omaha orange state truck color that you could see at night and there was no lights. At, at, right. Because know. Rumney was so dark and Bear Ridge at the time too. Um, white mom wanted a, a bright color. Well, they used to paint the state trucks. It's a state truck orange is what it is. They used to paint them down at Kent Carbon Ford back when dad was used to work down there. Yeah. So they got all the paint. We got it, we got it free. Don't sell nobody, but we got it cheap. And uh, so we used it that way and just became orange. And that was that was it. You're we, like the Richie Evans of New Hampshire. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we did blue. We, we mixed it up a little bit. A couple of years we did blue. And then we went back to the orange, and then one year we ran black, and one year we did the silver and orange for the 25th anniversary. On the sprint car, yeah. On the sprint car, yeah. But on the modifieds, usually it's either yellow, I mean uh, orange or blue, orange and white. And that's where the Ford came from. Now, the 7X is yeah. a I, – I, it's a different story. The old man corrects me every time, but I like the way it, I like the way it went. And then the boy, you and Donald showed up with a 7 on the car, right? Yeah. At New London, yeah, and they had three other sevens already. Yeah, yeah. So they asked you what you're going to do. Can't put 17 on it. Can't do 71. So they asked if you put an X on the end of it. They said sure. So they just piece of duct tape one way and duct tape the other way, and seven X, and that was it. We were seven X ever since. My uncle's the same way. Duval racing since 1965. Number seven X. So that's awesome. Yeah, yeah it was, it's, it's a cool story. It's kind of a brand, you know, at this point. Well. Yeah. yeah, but we got in trouble when we ran dirt because uh, yeah, uh, Steve Payne had seven X. Uh, it's yeah. amazing when you see a bunch of if you if you watch even if you watch Flow or you watch Dirt Vision, you'll see a bunch of guys 
yeah. run Thank the number seven X. Thomas Mesrol on the on the on the USEX here. You'll see seven X all over the place. It's just interesting. But yeah, you know, I when I at one point I was trying a couple different things just to try to help promote the you know get some extra money coming in selling T-shirts or whatever, and I did a couple of seven X brandings, and then when Facebook came into play, I said, you know, it's a pretty good way to get how we're doing out to the fans who don't come every week. Or I had a lot of family down in Connecticut who want to know how we're doing it. So I would write a letter every week on how we did it. Actually, my dad started it back in the nineties when he would, he would email them. Uh, but I took it over and did it on Facebook and came up with seven X nation. So we can have, if you're part of seven X nation, you got a special sticker and you can put 25 bucks, get your name on the car, blah, blah, blah. You know, it was, it was always good to try to get a little bit of extra money to buy some tires. You know? Spring has arrived, but it's not always warm. If you're cold at home now, or if you want to get ready for next winter, Pro Heat of East Montpelier, Vermont is the only call you need to make. April 2022 marks 20 years in business for Pro Heat. They are constantly evolving, and they're here for the long haul. Rest assured that if it can go wrong, Pro Heat has seen it and fixed it. Pro Heat is a one-stop shop for sales, installation, and service. Water heaters, gas, oil, electric, and hybrid. Furnaces, oil tanks, cold climate heat pumps, boilers, gas, and oil. For more information, visit Pro Heat on Facebook or call the East Montpelier office at 802-479-9330 or call Michael John Massetti directly at 802-272-0964. Professional, reliable, on-time, Pro Heat. New England weather is unpredictable, and when the power goes out, you'll need a backup plan. That's why you should call Bushy's Generator Sales and Service in Springfield and Brookfield, Vermont. Bushy's is your source for home standby generators, and they are the number one Briggs & Stratton dealer in the state of Vermont. From sales and installation to service and maintenance on all makes and models of generators from 10 kilowatts to 200. And if you order a home standby generator from Bushy's between now and the Milk Bowl in October, mention that you heard this ad on Uncommon Deeds and receive a five $500 discount. Bushy's Generator Sales and Service covers all of Vermont and New Hampshire, as well as Massachusetts, Connecticut, and New York. Give them a call at 802-591-1903 or visit their Facebook page or bushysgenerator.com. Bushy's Generator Sales and Service of Springfield and Brookfield, Vermont. We keep your power on. Barry Tile and Morrison Clark Incorporated have got you covered, literally. They're your number one stop in central Vermont for all types of flooring, whether it's tile, carpet, hardwood, or any other type of flooring, indoor or outdoor, for your home or your business. Barry Tile staff are qualified installers who can offer you real-world flooring experience and knowledge that you don't always find in the big chain stores. But you don't need our endorsement. They've been family-owned and operated since 1972, which means they're celebrating 50 years in business in 2022, and that stands for itself. And hey, not only are they great at what they do, they're racers too. You got it, man. Check out Barry Tiles' Facebook page to see some examples of their incredible work. You can call them the old-fashioned way, 802-476-0912, or just stop into the showroom, 889 South Barry Road in Barry, Vermont. Make sure that you tell them that the guys at Uncommon Deeds sent you. Thanks to all our sponsors who help us bring this show to you for free every single week. Now, back to our show. You know, you're, you're sitting there with your dad, and you're talking back and forth and bouncing off each other seems like pretty constant uh how important was that or is that relationship 
or racing was for that relationship for you two? Oh, uh, it's, uh, I won't speak for him, but I'll speak for me. And I, I've told him this many a time. I would never do it without him. Uh, we worked together for so long. It, I tell you, as I was, as a young person, I was, you know, full of piss and vinegar and, and had a lot of different ideas than he did, you know? And so there was a certain, for a time when I was younger that I was a dickhead sometimes, you know, and he, we'd, we'd argue and yell at each other and whatever. And then ultimately all we needed to do was get the car right so that I can drive it, you know, whether it was me or him and combination of us. And, uh, the relationship grew as we go on. Um, and when we quit in, in 08 or 07, whichever one it's supposed to be, um, we didn't hardly talk about anything. We did the, the whole summer. We hardly even had like four conversations, you know, cause he's, he's old school. He doesn't, he does, he's not a big conversationalist and you know, Hey, how things going? Good. How's mom? Good. You know, and that's, that was a, that was a conversation. We had nothing to talk about, you know? And then when we finally went back to racing, Hey, what are we doing on a car this week? What are we doing this week? Did you see this? Did you see that? It's just a constant theme that we would always kind of stay in touch and, and talk about. And as, as he got older and I got older, I got a little bit more wiser. And he, of course, was always as wise as ever, but it's, it's a case where, all right, you know, maybe he is right. Right. Maybe, maybe I wasn't, maybe I wasn't right. Or, you know, we can do it that way, even though it's, it would be different than what I would do it, but it's his way. You know, there's three different ways. There's the right way, the wrong way and the Pepe way. So <laughs> Pepe, Pepe rules most of the time, you know, and then uh, there come the point in time where, where he didn't, you know, he didn't know, you know, and he's like, I, I don't, I don't know. Let's try something different. So what do you want to do? So I tell him what we did and sometimes it works. Sometimes it didn't, but the bottom line is, when 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 we hit the track and we finished in the track and we were talking to anybody like we were talking or, or I'm talking to fans, it was always we. It was never me. You know, I didn't I didn't wrench on that car near as much as he did. I couldn't we couldn't do the sprint car because he was he was retired. If he wasn't retired, we couldn't do the sprint car deal because it was just me and him. And he would work all week on the car. Just he he you know, he works in the garage and does just tinkering, you know. I come home and the car's ready, you know, and I'm like, Jesus, you didn't have to do it all. He said, well, you know, I'm just muttering around, whatever, you know. And he's got uh, he's got 10 times more energy than I'll ever have. I hope I only hope to be as, as more energetic and, and have as much to do um, physically as he does when I'm his age. He's getting a little bit older now, so it would, would have been tougher and tougher for us to do as much as we did. But he's a workhorse, the machine, the man, the myth, the legend. But it's fun. It's, it was great because when we did tour with ESS, you know, you got to be after once you once you get into that inner circle, you know, once you're there every week and you're going through the same trials and tribulations, and somebody has an issue, you try to help them out. They we have an issue, they would help us out, you know. And he got to be Pat, and uh, everybody really respected that. It was a lot of. It was very cool. It was real cool. We were. I'm very proud of what we what we were able to accomplish um, in our career, and uh, I wouldn't do it without him. Just an awesome human being. Yeah. You you guys get into the sprint cars, um, 2010. Yeah. And at that time, the scone the scone tour sprint cars in New England. It's, I mean, and it, and it always has been this. It's a club. It's kind of loosely run. If you've got something that sort of looks like it meets the rules of a sprint car, bring it, and we'll let you race. Um, in 2010, though they're about 10 years into their program and you and Chris Donnelly 
and a few other guys kind of all show up at once. And it turned that tour, you forced them to become a little bit more professional. You kind of stepped everybody's game up. Um, and I think that first year it was, uh, I think Chris won the championship and you were second, maybe. Um, yeah. And then yeah, you guys combined it. to win all but like five races. Yeah, he won it because uh, we broke. We were leading, and we had an aluminum oh. coupler. It was an aluminum coupler. coupler we yeah. put an aluminum one on it, and Mike said, ah, it'll work. Yeah, it broke leading one night. And he, he won it fair and square. He he he, he beat us. Um, and we were always battling with Chris, you know. And it got to the point we were – all of a sudden, we started getting a lot of – a lot of recognition, you know, the speedway scene was active back then. They started, Hey, there's a sprint car club up there and we put on some good races. I mean, you, you guys I mean, did. And I don't, I don't mean to, to knock anybody in that, in that tour, but it was, it was just you and Chris really. It, and it looked easy from the grandstands for you two guys until you got to battle with each other in the last five laps. And then it was honestly, it was some of the best racing I've ever seen. Thanks. We, uh, for me, sprint car sprint cars came easy to me. I don't know why. Um, I, I I've always had good car control, and we didn't like really banging with people on the modifieds, but you kind of have to sometimes. But with the sprint cars, you just don't you know you don't touch anybody because if you do, you're going for a ride, obviously. And Chris, he jumped in um, Cy Allen's car one night at, at the beginning of the year, and we're out in practice, and I'm I'm going. And I'm getting faster and faster and faster. And I'm really liking this. This is a lot of fun. And then Chris, the first practice, first race at Canaan, he came up and he said, you know, Jesus, we're all talking. I had Chafee there. Randy was there. There's a couple other drivers there too. And he's like, I just don't feel comfortable in this thing. I said, Chris, you got to scare yourself. He's like, what are you talking about? I said, you got to go in the corner harder. I never should have freaking told him that. I should have just kept my mouth shut. Yeah. <laughs> but sure enough, he drove it in there, you know, and all of a sudden he starts taking off. And yeah, you know, we would, it got to the point where whoever got to the front first was going to win. Or, you know, if we caught lap traffic or something, it'd make it interesting. And back in the day, the first year, I think we had probably 12 or 14 cars. The second year, we ended up with like 16 or 18. And then the third and fourth years, we had 20, 21. You know, we had a good we had a good amount of cars. And they were getting better all the time. And we yes, were getting better all the time. And Chris was getting better all the time. And, uh, yeah, we, <laughs> yeah, he won it in 10. I won it in 11. He took it in 12 and 13, 14, and we'd finish right with him. And then um, 15 was our year. We had a great year, as you know, 15. And then um, that was the last time I really, really ran with Scone. We wanted to branch out a little bit more. But, um, yeah, he was – we had some good battles. I had a lot of respect for Chris. Chris never – didn't really turn a wheel wrong. Never, never – you know, we never crashed us. We never crashed each other. We might have rubbed a little bit, but it was only because of good racing. And we tried to build that up a little bit for the fans, try to get the fans into it, you know, telling them that we don't like each other and whatever, but we never really, never really disliked each other. And then he got, I think he got a little bit more humble and then got a little bit more mature as we went through. And I probably matured too. So it was one of them deals where um, we had some good, respectable racing together. And uh, so much so that my, my youngest daughter called him out on uh, that bucket challenge back in the day. Remember that ice bucket challenge? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had to call Chris out, and of course he did it. And and then she she dumped it over his head at the, in the pit area. It was it was really cool. 
it was really cool. It changed my kid's perspective of him too, because back in the day, he was kind of quiet. He'd always concentrate on his own stuff. And that's, and that's fine. So people do things differently in a pitch, you know, and he always was never one for conversation, you know, and he's just, he's there to race, you know? And, and uh, so he lightened that up a little bit more as he went along and, and my kids got involved and it was pretty cool. We still talk quite a bit now. Whenever I go to the track, I always go up to, to see him and, and say hello. And it's a mutual respect. It's, I loved it when he, I was, I was helping um, Pauly Kojiviani when they, when Bearridge hosted the ESS race like yep. two years ago. Yep. Right. And uh, when Chris won that one, I'm like, that a boy, you know, cause I tell you what, Bear Ridge is tough, man. It's, it's a slippery place. And just like devil's bowl, you know, when it can get slicked off, it's tough to get a hold of. And those, those boys, I always thought that they kind of didn't think I really could do as well as I, I could because I go to Bear Ridge and, you know, we do pretty well there, but then we go to ESS and get our butt kicked only because we're going twice as fast. You know? That's exactly. Uh, Will Hall told me that one time. Um, and then Lacey Hansen actually said the same thing. She goes, I've never had to use the wing before. You yeah. know, it, the wing doesn't matter on the quarter miles, the, the flat, slow quarter miles. Nope. And then you go out to Lebanon Valley or Granby and it's freaking hold on. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And it took me, you know, I never, the, uh, we did well. We won a heat race at Canandaigua. We, we were respectable in other places, but I didn't have as much success on the SS store as I, I would have hoped I did but I understand why. And those guys are just so good. And um, it took me quite a while not to get off of the gas. If that makes any sense at, at on the quarter miles, you're off the gas and you're really working the gas and the brake at the same time, trying to keep the rear tires underneath you where out there, you just, you put it on the 10 and you lean it left and you know, you hope it goes around the corner, which it normally does most of the time. And uh, it's such a difference. It's such a difference. And so whenever you call up these, this drink car chassis makers, and you just say, Hey, I'm running, you know, New England Bearridge and Rumney and Devil's Bowl, and it gets really slow. And they're like, oh, you got to get it left. You got to stay on the gas. And I'm like, you don't understand. <laughs> We're doing 30 miles an hour around the corner, you know. The wing has nothing to do with it. So we had to change our setups quite a bit to 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 accommodate that, especially when we went to the bigger tracks. We were just bottoming out. The first time we went to, went to Utica, Rome, oh, my goodness. First time I went to Utica, Rome, get some speed. I'm bang, bang, bang. I'm bottoming the whole thing out all the way around the – all around both corners. And I'm like, dad, we got to, we got to make these torsion bars a little bit stiffer because we had softened them up so much because we needed to bite, you know, on, on this, on a small track. So, but I, one thing that the small tracks do give you though, that they don't necessarily, the big tracks teach is, is traffic, understanding to watch the cars, understand and make moves where the cars in front of you might be or might not be. And you watch a lot of guys who, who can run real fast out, out front, on these bigger tracks, then you put them in a crowd. They just they they can't they can't catch any speed, you know. So I think that really helped. Kind of that chunk that time period. You also got to be the one to close down Canaan. You got the last win there. Was that cool? Yeah, yeah that was pretty cool. We uh yeah. Yeah. threw away a uh, a triple crown series race in a championship the that year, right? So. For Scone, they ran a triple crown. They ran a Friday night at, at um, Canaan and then Saturday night Bear Ridge and then Sunday back at Rumney back in the day. We had one at the, in 2010, the first time they ever ran it, they put a bonus up for winning all three, another 1500 bucks or whatever. So we were fortunate enough to win all three that year. We won seven races, I think, that year. And, and uh, they kept that triple crown going from that time until 2000 and I don't know. 15 16 just a year or two ago actually 
Yeah. And yeah. Um, we won the first night at Canaan, and then Bay Ridge got rained out, I think, and we ran the Sunday show at Rumney, and we finished second or third there. And then the following week, we we were finishing up at at Bear Ridge with our with our triple crown, and I'm running third, got it in the bag, and I jumped over Ricky Martel's right rear and junked the car. So this was like Labor Day weekend of September, yeah. and the last race at Canaan was like an October 12th show or something. You know, they always ran them late, and um, well, we had to make a decision, right? So Ed Hoyt, Matt Matt Hoyt's dad, gave us enough money to go down and bought a chassis off of uh, Donnie Kreitz. I brought it home. We put it together in three weeks. I used one, yeah, and um, put it together in three weeks. And I went out there, and and because of the point scenario, I would the way they did it the last three weeks, they would put the they moved us up because we had terrible points. We got knocked out that that week, and then a bunch of cars that that race didn't show. So we ended up running. I don't know, we started like fourth or something. And, uh, yeah, that was a long day, by the way. Yes, <laughs> that was, was a long, long yes, day. It freaking was. What made it longer was we had Blake's, Blake um, Shepard, excuse me, yeah, Blake Shepard, a good friend of ours, was running a modified at the time. And we had the gas cans right next to each other. And he had regular gas and I had an alcohol in mine. And one of the crew members dumped the regular gas. No. Tank. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, fortunately for me, it's a good thing we had four hours between our heat race and the feature. Because we had to empty the whole can out, take the whole, took the whole fuel tank, fuel system. We took it all, it all up, ran on the asphalt for a lap or two just to make sure it didn't put the regular fuel through it. And then we started, we started in fourth, hoping that it wouldn't, hoping we get all the fuel out of it or, you know, gasoline out of it, and had regular fuel in there. So it was a good thing we had all that time, but it was a long day. That was a long day. And yeah, we, uh, you know, we just got out front and walked the dog for a while. And I, I didn't, I never really liked to get out there and kill them. You know, I just, we get out there and we'd run. I don't, I always, as a fan, I hated to see one guy get out front and leave everybody. You know what I mean? And it's just no fun for anybody. So I, not that I would let people catch up to me, but I would just walk the dog. I'd just go 90% as hard as I, as I wanted to. And then if I saw somebody's nose or whatever, then I'd pick it up back to hundred percent and, and try to go on for the win. Sometimes that, sometimes that bit me, sometimes it bit me because I didn't get the chance to get it back, but. Most of the time, it worked out all right. And that, that particular time, Chris was running. I think he started probably 12th or 14th. He got through the group, got through the crowd, and then showed up with like five to go with that black nose on the inside. I'm like, all right, now it's a race. So we ended up winning that. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, that was the last that was the last sprint car race at Canaan. Thanks for that, Tom. Yeah, that was, that was a great memory. It was pretty cool. Dustiest racetrack I've ever seen in my life was that day. Yeah, oh, man, that was <laughs> slippery. My word. Yeah. I, we've seen a few there, there more than anywhere else. The, one of the first races they had there was a freaking cornfield. I mean, there was ruts and holes. I mean, I was running, we won the race that night and I was running almost on the outside of the outside part of the track just because I could keep speed and everybody else is bouncing through the holes and I just go by them all, you know? And, and I'm like, so we went, we walked out on, well, the crew walked out in victory lane and the old man stepped down in and it was up to his waist almost. Yeah. I mean, it was unbelievable. It was yeah. crazy. It was crazy. And then the one year back in the day when we were on the coops there, they had, uh, it was so late, dude, it was snowing number one and they ran the race and they started a race and you couldn't see because it's so dusty. They stopped the race. They went out, put water down on it and restarted again. 
without even coming to pits, just watered it and restart. Oh my god, it was brutal. But yeah, it was uh, it was definitely slick, slick that night for sure. Uh, I'm gonna guess <clears throat> that the biggest win of your career I actually got to see um, at Devil's Bowl um, against the ESS cars. Yeah, uh, that was a cool night. It was on the little track, which is a strange little beast. It was, um, yeah. but uh, it was an all-star field that day, and and you guys, you know, I'm I'm tooting the Devil's Bowl horn, I guess, but um, you you really put it on on that night. Yeah, thanks. And yeah. and by the way, you had a good friend in Victory Lane with Lou Boyd showing up. Oh, for sure. Lou's been a supporter of ours for years. He was he was with us for quite a quite a few years. I met him through Dick Bergeron. Um, actually, no, we met him at Canaan. He used to race Canaan um, uh, back in the the Outlaw Open days, you know. And uh, yeah, so he did that that uh, the Coastal Cup, which was pretty cool. Yeah, but yeah, that day was pretty special. That was our biggest. That was our biggest win. Um, that meant a ton to us because it had. When you look back on it, it had a weirdest cone champion, it had Steve Poirier, who was the ESS champion, mm-hmm. it had um, uh, Sammy Reeks, who was the PST champion, yeah. <laughs> all in the all there at the same time, and uh, we got fortunate with the pill draw. Actually, I can thank Chris Donnelly for that. Yeah, uh, in the invert, he picked the right number and put us on the pole. Um, but we had a really good car that day, and uh, I knew that track being as small as it was and i knew where you could pass and where you needed to not to make the pass and um we were able to get through lap traffic pretty pretty easy um and they all, all the the big guns they struggled and Thank you. um Thank you, Bob. Bigelow. yeah so uh it was uh it was a great night we uh yeah. it was a great night we uh we drank a lot that night that was good <laughs> <laughs> now that was that was by far our biggest win um the Canaan one was probably the second biggest, honestly. Looking back on it, probably if that that Canaan, the last race at Canaan, yeah, that, that was, was probably, grand, right? yeah, that was two grand to win, I think. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, but not only monetarily, I think for for prestige wise, I think the the Green Mountain Nationals. I wish they could come to a mutual understanding because I tell you what, the ESS cars would fly around that track right now. I think that'd be a great show, but it is what it is, and um, you know when we run some modified races too, so. It was Absolutely. fun. Had a great career. Yeah. Now I, you know, I we got to bring it up. The wreck. We're we're at Devil's Bowl in 2019, and let me set the scene for you. Uh, it's the Vermont 200, uh, the biggest you know event of the year at the track. I'm stressed out uh, as working the handicap and all that stuff with everybody in the tower and trying to do my job. And at one o'clock in the afternoon, I get a text from Tom saying, I just watched a couple people. I think they're dead at Thunder Road. And that was the day that Dean Gallison and Jonathan LeMay got hit. An hour later, you're, you're off the top of the track with a broken neck. Yeah. I mean, that was a, that was a hard day for, for the state uh, uh, race fans, uh, but especially you, I'm sure. Can you take us through that day? Yeah. I mean, it was interesting because we had struggled all year with our motor program. We, uh, I blew a, I, I stripped the cam at Plattsburgh like the fourth week in the, into the into the season in May, and I sent it back up to Will Hall and had him try to try to fix it, and he fixed it. We put it back together for the July fourth race, and we were we were flying, but the timing was off a little bit, and we unfortunately burnt the piston up, so we were without a motor and couldn't get parts and pieces. So I didn't race the whole second half, basically the whole second half of the year, and it got to be 
September or getting to be September. And I'm like, man, we got too many races not to run. We got to find a car. So I called up Armin Bover and he's like, yeah, I got that car ready to go. So we grabbed it. We made a mutual understanding what we would do. And he said, yeah, go for it. Go, go take it and go. And so we brought it up to Bear Ridge the night before and um, we beat him. We won with the car and it was yep. felt great. It felt fantastic. So I said, well, we're going to go out to Devil's Bowl next day. So I go to Devil's Bowl next day and go out in hot laps. And it was only like a lap worth of hot laps. And their cars were all over the place. So I really didn't get a chance to really feel it out. Went down in the – we started a heat race. Went down into turn one, and it pushed on me a little bit, a little bit, little bit tight. So I told myself right then and there that I was not going to lift getting into three and we're going to make this thing turn. And I go down a backstretch, and the motor was not as strong as the Gertie, but it did okay. But I wasn't uh, – Clay was kind of leaving me a little bit. And then I got into turn three. Clay, and Clay Dow. Played out, yeah. And I went in there and, and I told myself I wasn't going to lift. And so I didn't. And typically with my old car and cars before, it would kind of slide a little bit, kick to the right, and it would slide some, even when I was still on the gas. And it would still, it would still kind of slide. Honestly, we worked 32 years to find the setup and the feeling. And I felt it for a half a second because that car just went in the corner and just turned. And just didn't whip turn, just turn where it's supposed to. And I don't know if he might have lifted just a little bit, but anyway, the closing speed I got with him, and I, I went, oh yes, oh no, and I hit him in the right rear, and we went up, and I come down, and I'm like, you know, I think I got it because I've done that before. I go over a guy's right rear, and you can kind of catch it, and I'm like, well, we we'll just get out in the field or whatever. Well, as soon as I went off the track, it was just ass over tea kettle, and in a ditch or something i hit my head pretty hard the car hit it on the back the right rear torsion bar rack and hit my head and it didn't yeah backwards and it didn't didn't first thing you do is just shake everything make sure everything's okay you know even if it hurts at least it's hurt right and nothing everything was moving and everything was good but my back my head's hit hurt me a little bit and the the crew guys got there pretty quick the the emergency guys were there right there just seemed like just as soon as i landed and I went to peel the helmet off, and I must have looked white as a ghost because the the, uh, the emergency guy's like, what happened? What's the matter? I'm like, ah, my neck is really bothering me because everything moved when I picked my helmet off. He said, oh, we got to get you on the backboard. And I chuckled at him, you know, you know, the size of me and, you know, two guys the size of, you know, short fellas because they ain't going to lift my sorry ass up out of this thing with a, on a blackboard, you know, 300 pounds of dead weight just ain't going to go. So I said, that's all right. I'll I'll stand up and I'll get my feet over the cage because the wing was gone at that point. And I just slide down on the tubes and I get down on the hood and then I'll, I'll walk in the ambulance. And then once I get the ambulance, you guys can do what you want. They were dead set against me doing that. But so I put the horse collar on me and then um, I did that. And then we got in the back of the ambulance and I was sitting up and I was every move, every jostle was really, was hurting pretty good. And fortunately for me, I had my oldest daughter there. My oldest daughter at the time now was, she's 27. So she was 25, whatever. She was an LNA. So she knew a little bit about nursing and stuff. So she was my advocate and she jumped right in the ambulance. We had to wait for a second ambulance. And then we got over to Rutland and we got put in this CAT scan and put me in the tube there. And that hurt getting in and out of that. And we were by that time, my dad and bones got there and, uh, the doc came in and said, don't move. Said, What's the matter? I said, don't move. You got, we got to put your head down. Or you broke your C1. I can't believe you're walking. Can't believe you're talking. So I said, well, okay. So then we took the life flight helicopter over to Dartmouth 
that night. And um, the originally, I broke my C1, which is the first um, vertebrae that your that your skull sits on that allows it to kind of rotate. <clears throat> it actually just sits right on. I broke it in five places and broke it out in five places, and it was it was way out. It was uh, the the book they tell me, and this is all the doctors tell me. But the book they say is anything more than seven millimeters in 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 length away from each other. You know, any space more than seven millimeters, and the bones won't necessarily heal together themselves. You have to kind of fuse them together with whatever you're going to use for for operation stuff and. It was 10. It was over 10. So Man. the doctor, well, if we, if you want to, we can do surgery right now, but you're never going to move your neck again. You know, you're going to have to use your shoulders to move. And I said, well, what, is, what other options do we have? So they said, well, we can wait till the swollen goes down to see if it gets it any closer. I said, all right, well, we'll wait. So we got to Wednesday and we were in the, in the hospital there at Dartmouth for a week. And um, on Wednesday, they took the shots again. And sure enough, it was at seven and a half. And he says, what do you think? Either, you know, either we cut it open, we do surgery, or we give it a shot, and we put you in a halo. I said, well, anytime you don't cut somebody open, the better off you are, right? So we put us in the halo, and then um, we learned to live with that for the better part of three months. And uh, fortunately for us, it healed up real well. It didn't, still didn't heal up in the front, but they say that's okay because the front, whenever they replace a disc, they put in a C disc anyway, so the front's always a gap anyway. So the doctor won't worry about that. And, um, you know, interestingly enough, that's the only bone I ever broke driving race cars. That's it. Everything else was just a bruise. And, uh, my wife was a pure saint for dealing with me for almost three months. And my dad too, he was huge helping me around the house. The only, so the real, the real kicker of all this, right. Is I'm six, three, six, two and a half, six, three, and I've got this halo on. And the sticks stick up out of the halo a good four inches, right? Well, that puts me at almost, you know, almost 6'10". Well, you can't bend with that thing. So I can't get in any car. I can't sit in any seat because I'm so high, it hits the roof. And I can't I can't do anything. So the only vehicle that we had was our camper. <laughs> the touring. That's the, only thing I could, that's the only thing I could sit in. So we used that to go back and forth to the doctors, you know, once every, every other week. And then I... <laughs> watching a field hockey game or two, taking the camper there. And, and, uh, ultimately after my wife went to, went to, went to work one day, I got after the old man and said, Hey, we got to cut these things down, you know, cause they're just nothing. just sticking up in the air. It was like antlers, you know, there's nothing there. there it's all held with the bolts that are here that, that go into my skull. He said, yeah. I was like, yeah, we cut them off. He said, well, hold on. Let me, let me, he, we ended up with a second unit because the first one was only an extra large. I needed a double. Right. So the first one they gave to me because he couldn't give it to anybody else. So he used those rods. He tested them. Well, they weren't, they weren't, they were composite. There was like, it was like Kevlar. It wasn't a tube. So he had, we had tried different ways of cutting them. And ultimately to make a long story, even longer, he ended up, we ended up putting a towel over my head with a, with a hole through it and a plastic bag. Don't tell nobody a plastic bag over the top of that. So we keep all the grinding stuff out, but he took a wizard, the grinder, the cutoff wheel, and zip that off and i'm telling you mister with that thing bolted to your skull and it's in your skull and you yeah. feel nothing but you know when they do the teeth when you got your at the dentist and you're grinding away you know it's 10 times <laughs> and i'm like oh my god right so he gets through it and i'm like oh thank god and then he gets up there and he starts cleaning it up because he wants to take the burrs off and i'm like oh. 
I'm hitting him. Don't stop. Just stop. Just leave it alone. Oh, my God. So anyway, we cut those down, and I was actually able to get in his pickup truck after that so we didn't have to use the camper all the time. But the wife wasn't oh happy God. about that. She thought we were she thought we were doing something really wrong. Uh. I said, ah, it's no problem, you know. Don't worry. <laughs> So, yeah, you know, the, so you we talked earlier when you asked if I would come on and you said one of one of the one of the main questions was, was it from you, Tom, was going to what's the dumbest thing you ever did in a race car? Was that you or is that Justin? Is that coming That's up? My quick That's my quick Justin. Yeah. 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 Well, the answer to that is not paying attention in a heat race and and screwing up and breaking my neck. That's that's the dumbest thing I ever did in a race car. I tell you, that's really what bothers me the most, to be honest with you guys, is. The last of all the good things I've ever done in a race car. When I was a when I was growing up, my my mom's mom, great Mary, God rest her, God rest her soul. Her her husband, my grandpa Bill, had always said, "God gives you one gift, gives everybody one gift, and how you choose to use that gift is what you can do to help people around you better." Right. So my one gift has always been able to drive a race car. So every time I would win a race or whatever, I would give the trophy away to a kid or, you know, a, a fan and it just makes their day, you know, and I've, I've given out so many and I've actually got, I've actually gave away trophies to the kid's kid. You know what I mean? They come back and I give another trophy away and, and you know, I still have yours up, in, up, up in the, up on the mantle. And, and it's just, it was, it's nice because it's, it gets personal with the fans, but the kids just love them to, to us to just, you know, I mean, they're nice. I, and I've kept multiple ones, some of the, some of the bigger wins that we've had, but, most of the time they're just collecting dust. They don't pay nothing. You know what I mean? So we would give them away and, and they would just love it. You know, here's a great story, right? So at Barry's, they would run bike races. I'm sure you guys do this too, oh, yeah. or have seen this done, right? So the kids get out there for age groups and they'd go for a certain distance around the, around the track or go all the way around the track and they would give out trophies for the top three, right? So Courtney, my youngest, or my oldest at the time, she was 12 or 13. She got her bike and she tried all week to get better and, She'd go up there and race, and she finished third. She got a trophy. It was great. So we're, we're walking off the track, and I have a woman came up behind me. Uh, actually, not a woman. The kid came up behind me and tugged me on the on the pant on the pant leg, and she said, "Danny, Danny." I looked down. I said, "Oh, hi. How are you?" I said, and I recognized her from a couple weeks ago. I had given her a trophy, and she says, "Here, I, I I just finished second in my bike race, and I want you to have my trophy." And I'm like, oh, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa!" I said, "You've worked hard for that trophy. Don't you think you deserve that?" And I looked at her mom and her mom's like, she worked for two weeks so that she could win a trophy and give you her trophy. She said, would you please accept it from my, oh, from my so cool. I'm like, absolutely. It's in my trophy case right there. Yes. Yeah. It was pretty awesome. It was pretty cool. So, you know, I tried to give back to the people, try to make them smile when with, with my, my, my ability to drive a race car and it worked out quite a bit so it was it was pretty cool it man was pretty cool. 63 episodes we've done and that's one of the coolest stories we've heard hell yes that's awesome yeah it's all it's uh it brought me to tears to be honest with you it brought me to tears because i i didn't ever expect that and i wouldn't want to take two you know a seven years old trophy you know what i mean i mean you worked hard for that don't and she's like no could you please take it and i'm like yeah all right great so we got a picture in all nine yards and it was really it was really, really cool. Yeah, man, that's awesome. Wow. I hope there's some kids that listen to this. That's right. that's cool. Yeah, I see a lot I see a lot of guys giving trophies away now too, which is great. You know, we actually had a there was a 
marriage back in the day, they would have uh, a night where everybody coming to pits for 15 minutes or whatever. And somebody would hand out gum and, and, you know, and hats or whatever. And I actually handed a whole bunch of trophies out that I had saved up for a while. And, uh, I ran out of them and I disappointed a couple of people. <laughs> I had to give IO, IOUs for them. And I found them later on that year just to give the trophies back. But it was pretty cool. I still have a few of them. I give my very first one I gave to my old man. He's still got it at his house. And, uh, and I got the Canyon Cup too. Oh, yeah. He's got the Canyon Cup. Cup no, yeah. The, uh, the, the, the Coastal Cup. Coastal Cup. Yeah. I've got that silver bowl up on top of my cabinet. Yeah. Beautiful trophy. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was gorgeous. That was a hell of a. That was a hell of a night, man. That was a cool. That was a cool deal. At least out of the whole ordeal, I hope you gain an appreciation for the, you know, the Kevin McHale's of the world, the six ten and aboves, what they go through every day. <laughs> right? That's crazy. No, you're right. It's unbelievable. There's nothing. I had to duck through every every door to come to to when I was just walking around, right in the hospital, even. You know, just to make sure I didn't hit it. But yeah, you're right. I don't know how those guys do it. And they have must have cars that have long foot boxes. Oh, you know what I mean? Well, they can bend. Yeah, but still. Well, I saw actually. I saw watched a show recently with Shaquille O'Neal, and he's got a guy who custom does most of his cars. Like if he wants a Lamborghini or something, it has to be a certain type, and they take out the whole kind of back half to extend it. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, no, I don't. Uh, I don't want to be ever ever be that tall again. <laughs> the difference is they can't take an angle grinder to their skull and <laughs> whittle it down. <laughs> exactly. Oh, I almost killed them. I. You know, oh. oh my goodness! You got to be kidding me! But that was we got it done, so that was good. My wife was not happy that we cut them off. She was so mad. <laughs> but at least we get in the car. What, I, I have to ask: What did? the doctors say the first time you went in and those were cut off the top. Yeah. They looked at it and went, huh? Yeah. That's so interesting. We, we asked at the hospital that the guy could cut them off before we left. He said, Oh, I got nothing to cut them. Yeah. So how the hell do you expect us to get in a car? Yeah. Jeez. Fortunately we had the, we had the camper. So yeah. that's what he ended up bringing. But yeah, we went home and got the camper. He didn't say much. He looked at it. And, okay. Of course you're not, they're not doing anything sticking up in the air. If you look at it practically, you know, so, but I mean, that's one thing that I had wrote a letter. I wrote a letter to him because there was a lot of things that you couldn't do in the halo that they expected the patient to do. Like on the side of the beds, you got the buttons that'll raise you or lower you, or turn the volume up or volume down on the television, or call call the girl, you know, call the not the girl, but call the nurse, you know. And you can't reach them. I ca- I can't roll over to reach them. They're up too high, and I just. So there was a bunch of things that I wanted to let them know in the future if they have this type of injury and they put a somebody with a with a halo on that you have to understand there's certain things that that person can't do. And then again, one of the biggest ones was try to put the rods down as far as you can so that they're not sticking up as high as they are. You know, you're kind of their R and D guy, right? Pretty much, <laughs> pretty much. But you have to have them a certain length because they could be shorter, tall people. <laughs> All right, time for our Barry Tile quick hitters, and then we'll let okay. you go. No First problem. Up, I enjoyed. What driver do you think you learn the most from just by racing with them? That's an interesting question. There, uh, there was there was really you know three. I look at my career as being 
kind of three different sections. The first one was just watching. Um, once we started racing, I, I would think that uh, Franny Como, I learned the most about how to drive traffic um, with Franny at, at Norway Pines. Um, Jack, I would I learned how to be more of a gentleman with Jack and not and just listen to the person and not go off the handle. Don't think that they're always wrong, you know. Uh, Bill was pretty tough because he was just a true competitor, but I've always been a competitor, so that wasn't really there. But then we went to modified racing. We went to Kenny Tremont's school of dirt track racing out to Lebanon Valley back in 90, I don't know, 93, 94. And I learned a lot from Kenny just because he was so smooth, man. That guy is just, he's never flashy, you know. He's just smooth, just all the time he's going to be there at the end. And he never, hardly even gets a, out, of, out of shape. You know, the car's never really totally out of shape. So I just think car control probably from Kenny. Um, but in the sprint cars, probably learned from most from Steve Poirier. That guy is unbelievable. He could go on the outlaw tour right now, my, as far as I'm concerned, with the with the his ability. You know, he's just so smooth, and he every he gives everybody so much room. He never he never slides anybody wrong. So I would think the, was it him that did the 360 under speed at Fonda? Yes, he was. Oh my God, what a save! That was and that was pure talent. If you watch it, if you watch that in, in slow mo, you can see him steering the car while he's in that turn. Yeah. Yeah. And when he gets back straight again, the, the wheels are already there to get him that way. And that saved him the championship too, by the way. It was, that was. It saved impressive. him his ass is what it did. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. Cause I could have yeah. caught, it went for a wild ride, but yeah, he was, he is just, he has got so much talent. He's an unbelievable, and he's a fantastic person. He's almost a better person. He's, it's crazy. His family and his nephew now, Jordan, is fantastic, too, and, and they're yeah. just great, great people. As a matter of fact, the entire guy is Real Duville. He's from Black Lake, Canada. His folks were from Black Lake, which is the same region my father's parents were from. So we think we're kind of distant relatives, but we call him the Real Duville because that's his first name, Real. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, they're super nice people. So I would think, I would think those – those five gentlemen, probably probably Franny and then Kenny and then Steve, probably the, the biggest three that I raced against that I learned the most from. Good well, question. since you already answered my dumbest thing you ever did in a race car question, I got to come up with a new one on the fly. All um, right. So what's one that you gave away? Oh, my God. The one that I gave away that bothers me till today is at the at Canaan before they closed in 2008, we ran an open show. Charlie Elliott came in and promoted an open show at the end of the year. And we had run asphalt that year. And we had actually were in the process of retiring. We were all done. We, we weren't having any fun racing at all. And we we're spending so much money and time away from the family. We were done. We we're done. We weren't, we weren't happy with what we were doing. Both me and him got together and said, we're just done. But Canaan had an open show, and Lou Boyd called me up. He said, hey, there's a Canaan show. I said, yeah. He said, you want to drive my car, the 181 Champ car? I'm like, hell yeah, I'll drive that car. He said, all right, well, come down and get it. No, 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 he brought it up, right, because we set it up that morning. So he said, I'll bring it up to your house that morning. It was on a Saturday. That morning, I'll be up there at 9 o'clock. We'll set it up, and we'll, we'll go up to Canaan, and we'll go race. I said, great. So he brought it up, and we put sprint car rubber on it, put the wing on it, put a setup in it that we thought would work. 
And the old man here blew his back out, blew his back out. Couldn't walk, couldn't hardly get up. He was laying on the ground. We had to get the stuff together. So a friend of ours brought their golf cart with us so that he could get around the track. My aunt was coming up. My uncle was coming up. We had a whole bunch of people coming up. It was kind of our last hurrah, right? Because we were retiring. We were all done. We jump out in that in his rig, and it was us and Randy Howe. Randy had his car, the old um, outlaw car that he had, and um, we were the only ones that showed up with wings on. We went down into turn one and just flat-footed all the way around, won the heat going away. Randy won his heat going away, and it was only like 14 or 16 cars there, right? It was paying like a grand to win. So we got together. I went off, walked over to Randy, and I'm like, so supposed to, we're scheduled to start on a pole and outside pole, me and Randy. It was not going to be a good show. Maybe we were going to put on a good show, me and him. But, you know, you don't start the fast guys in the front. You know, so I said, Randy, hey, if, I, if I volunteer to go to the back, would you volunteer to go to the back? He said, I don't know. Let's go talk to Chowie. So we went and talked to Chowie Elliott. We found him. I said, hey, Chowie, this is what we got planned. I said, I said well, if you throw in a couple extra hundred bucks, we'll start tail. He says, I'm not throwing any money in there. He said, but if you want to start tail, go right ahead. So I looked at Randy. I said, you want to do it? He said, yeah, sure. Why not? So we both start. So we came out on the pace lap and we were at the front of the field and at the flag stand, we stopped, pulled to either side and we let the whole cars go through and we pulled in the back. The fans went crazy. They loved it. You could hear, you can hear them cheering from inside the car. Well, we had a gentleman's agreement that we were going to let the traffic kind of wean out a little bit till everybody got single file. Then we go, right? No, not Randy. The yeah. minute the green flag flew, he's up through the middle of them, banging through people, you know, off he goes and he just sort of gets to the lead first. And it's like, five laps into it and he's in the lead and i'm still like fifth or sixth finally we get by everybody and we can't we we track him down with like 10 laps into it. it's a 30 lap race and we're side by side for six or seven laps i'm running the very top he's running the bottom and we're going and we're going and we're going and they watered the very top at the before we went out so i knew there was a good bite up there so I, I get by him down the back stretch and i almost went to the bottom just to kind of take his lead and then and then drive away and i'm like no you know what i won't do it to him i'm gonna wait till we get at the flags and if i don't see him then i'll drop to the bottom i drove it in turn three just a little bit too high hit that wet spot slammed right in the wall bent the w link bent the torsion bar bracket back there and threw the race away limped into the pit area so mad at myself i'm still mad at myself today can't believe i did it and they stopped the race and were waiting for us <laughs> To fix the car, and we're like, no. we got nothing to put together. Oh yeah, they came over. They they ran over. How much time do you need? I was like, we need about an hour and a half. <laughs> They're like, oh, we can't wait that long. I said, I know, but we got nothing. We can't. We just got. We we broke it. It's done. We're done. All right. So then they undid the red and they finished the race and Randy won and and that I, that still bothers me because that was one of the last champ. I think the last race that that champ car ran. And we had it in the bag. We just, just, we just, we just going so well. So that one still bothers me till today. And Lou was smiling from that whole Oh yeah, he was really happy. Lou was tickled to death. Yeah, it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. I mean, there were other championships we lost by one point. That that sucked. I gave up. Well, we gave up a championship in that triple crown, um, triple tri track series back in the day in like two thousand four. We yeah. lost by two points. I ended up. My daughter had a. A softball tournament up in Littleton and they had the same night that they were running Canaan one night on Friday night. And I, I pulled in, I came back as quick as I could. It went to extra innings by the way. And she won, which is great for her team did. And 
we pulled in and they had just finished our heat races and Chris Downs actually took our car out and either won. Yeah. And, uh, so we didn't get the points for the heat race. We lost by two. So at the end of the year, so, you know, I mean, we lost, we lost to Carl Murray, Carl Murray ran Bearridge. We lost him by one point. We ended up losing our brakes in the last race because we got in a shunt. Just, you know, little stuff that, as you know, the highs are the highs and the lows are pretty low, but it's, uh, we don't, I don't have any regrets though. Last one. And in the spirit of Justin's usual question, what's the dumbest thing you guys ever did on a road trip? (laughs) Well, the old man won't remember this because he wasn't with us. So we took, oh my God. So we took, I had, this is, this was 2002 or three, right? We, we 358 race and modifieds. I had my best friend Brody, who's still my best friend. And I got a bunch of guys from work. And we decided that we're going to go to Canada on a guy's weekend, right? So we take off, we go to Canada. Oh, I know what trip you're thinking about, but this is another trip. So we go to, we go to Granby. We get to, we get to Granby. No, we're going to Drummondville. I'm sorry. We're going to Drummondville. <clears throat> and we get to Drummondville. We run Drummondville. And they had a deal that night where if you finish in the top four in your heat race, you're going to then have a pit stop competition in front of the stands at Drummond, right? And that how you finish in time in that pit stop competition is how you're going to line up the top 12. Well, great. So we're running fourth in in the first heat. And I, I've got no normal crew member there, man. I got my best friend there and I've got three other guys who are just, you know, just doing what they, what they can do. And they're more just entertaining themselves because we're just, in Canada, the rules are a little bit more looser than there are here in the States, especially back mm-hmm. in the day. And uh, so they had been in the sauce already on our way up. And so I, they told me, they said, if you think that we're going to change a tire in front of the entire stands, you're out of your mind. So we're running fourth, and I, I backed off just a little bit. The guy finished fourth, and, and we finished fifth. And they were thanking me protrusely, right, because they didn't want to stand in front of everybody. Which it didn't matter to me. I mean, we're 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 just having fun, you know. So they want to go, they want to go to a strip club up there. <laughs> I know before we come home, right? So we're going down this back road. My 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 buddy knows where this strip club is, and we had no idea where we're going. I'm still in my driver's suit. We're trying to find this place, and that we had them dolly wheels on that on that on the trailer. We go through this construction something they're fixing a bridge or something and i hammered that thing doing like 50 and broke those dollar wheels oh my god it was so bad (laughs) so bad we finally got to the strip club only spent like an hour there and then we ended up spending the rest of the night at granby speedway underneath the the power lines because i knew the track was there so we spent the night there and bert spent the night in the roof he slept in his in his sleeping bag and he brushed his teeth with beer Uh, it was it was an awesome (laughs) Awesome time. It was crazy. It was nuts. It was the best it was the best racing weekend we had, just fun wise in a long, long time, you know. And so in the feature, that, that night in the feature, I told don't even don't bother if we blow a tire or whatever, don't worry about it. We're not gonna change the tires. Well, five laps into it, sure enough, I smacked the inside guardrail, blow the left front, and I come in and Brody's running there to grab the spare tire. There's no air in the spare tire. <laughs> Can't change the tire. Don't know where the jack is. Oh my god, it was so funny. But yeah. One of the more disappointing ones, though, is we were going to – we took off to go to the races at Drummondville on a Saturday night. And about 4 o'clock in the afternoon, they called the show, and we were already on our way. 
we got the Granby where 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 it splits, where ten goes to Montreal and then fifty goes or fifty five goes up to, to to Drummondville, and the folks decided that they were going backwards. Well, we hit called around and Canada uh, Can Am was still running, and they were running double features, and they were going we're going to start the second feature, which is the normal race night feature until like nine o'clock. So it was going to be four hours before we could get there. So we flat-footed all the way across Canada, down through the Thousand Islands, down to Can-Am. We showed up, sure enough, they just, just ran a first feature, and the first heat is rolling out. We rolled the car back out of there, fired it up, went out, took one lap, blew the motor, turned around, loaded yeah. it right back in the trailer, and oh. drove home eight hours from Can-Am. <laughs> oh, my God. I pulled it next, the next day. And there's nothing but oil running all over the, the 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 floor of the trailer, and the old man's like, "Can't believe it!" <laughs> and he oh, wasn't even man. there, you know. He wasn't even there. So that was the one you were thinking about, I'm sure. Yeah. Oh God, that was brutal. Took one and <laughs> one one and a half laps of of uh, heat race in the back because everybody qualified. Just gonna turn two laps and come in, and boom, blew the thing oh, up. Oh God, God it was brutal. So as you can tell, I haven't talked racing for a while. Yeah, so appreciate you guys. <laughs> Appreciate you guys listening. Yeah, I w- I've always I enjoy talking racing. I just enjoy. I've always been around it. I, I still watch as much as I can. I still stay in contact with as many people as I can, and, and still try to try to enjoy. I just enjoy racing. You know, I just enjoy the people meeting guys like you guys and and fans and become more of a brotherhood than anything else. You know, it's a small, especially the open wheel community. It's a very small, very tight family and. When somebody gets hurt, it was. I got. I'm looking at a poster right here that Ron Drew got together at down at the All Stars are running in, at um, Port Royal the weekend after I broke my neck, and they got together and they all signed a card for me and that poster. And they knew they knew who I was when he asked them if they would sign it. They said, "Yeah, that's a kid from New Hampshire. Yeah, yeah, that's me. The one who drives one-handed. Yeah, that's me." So that was that was pretty cool. But it's all it's real tight, you know. And, to have you guys do what you guys do to promote the promote the sports what we need you know and it's thank you for doing what you do appreciate it the pleasure is all ours my friend thank you awesome i got the road thanks again to dan for giving us so much of his time and pep for chipping in it was funny you guys obviously don't get to see it but towards the end of that interview we start we shot the the proverbial poop with him after we hit stopped hit recording and pep kind of got up and was walking around and had like the sweetest like almost like an air one of those old airwolf jackets with a fedora what you would expect like he was getting ready to train rocky balboa oh my god i love pep he he used an angle grinder on his halo <laughs> i forgot I haven't got to that part of the editing, and I had forgot. Spoiler alert for me. I forgot about that, that he took an angle grinder to his son's halo. That was While it was screwed into his, his skull. It was in his skull. And then after he cut him, Tried to get him to stay there so he could round off and get the bird. Really make it look nice. Oh, I forgot about that. And that might be the best story we've heard in 63 episodes. Oh, my God.
Makes me wish I was still doing those teaser videos. Huh. <laughs> You're going to have to put one. Can you put one together? We'll see. Probably not. <laughs> it's already Tuesday night. Jesus. Oh, but no, that was, that was a fun conversation for sure. Oh my God. So what do we do? Do we cancel the rest of the show? Like, do we have, or how do we follow that? Up? <laughs> I don't know. We, uh, we ask you to like and follow and do all that stuff on all the socials. Uncommon Deeds on Twitter and Facebook. Uncommon Deeds Podcast on the Instagram. Instagram. If you are interested in becoming a part of the Uncommon Media family, whether sponsoring this show, maybe the Crunch Bunch pod, sings your name, maybe you have a media idea you think we can help you with, or a podcast idea that you think we'd like to hear, you can send us an email, uncommonmediavt at gmail.com. Gmail. And I'm excited because I think we have future stuff coming up and we're getting a bunch of people involved in this kind of next podcast idea we have. And we want more ideas because we're having fun with the idea, at least of expansion. Right. And we're going to have, you know, more openings for sponsorship partners for you name it. So it's exciting. And I'm just saying we, Justin and I, we've said this many times. We are very, very skilled at coming up with ideas that we think are good, but oftentimes we need a little help to make them to come to fruition. Yeah. I mean, every day we're coming up with ideas. Today's idea. Do you remember what it was? The barbecue racing series. Oh, the barbecue racing series. Yeah. That's all I'm going to say about it. But I know if you're listening to this, you're in. You're in. You're in on it. Who wouldn't be in on that? No friend of mine. That's who. You mentioned um, side projects that we have, and the Crunch Bunch podcast is one of them. And it's a show that we really don't have anything to do with other than we put it out. Um. So Al Maynard had a great show with Jen Getty last week. Um, and, you know, Danny Duville told some good stories in, in his show today, but go back and listen to the Crunch Bunch show with Jen Getty. Uh, I'm telling you that that might be my favorite Crunch Bunch show for sure. Uh, yeah, it, it is. It really is. And um, for different reasons than Tommy Thunder or the Whitcombs or anything else, it's just an awesome, awesome story. And she tells it well, and Al obviously is is fairly eloquent. And um, it's funny that when we had that idea to do the uh, entry-level show, that we were thinking we'd talk to a bunch of rednecks and morons and just people like us. And we've got the most brilliant, well-spoken people so far through six episodes. It's almost a disappointment. <laughs> uh, I feel like we're nice... We're a pleasant oxymoron. A moron. I know that. Uh, but no, the, uh, you're right. Show. That was that was a great show. And I know he's got a couple on the docket that he's looking to record here soon as it's 
it's easier for Al to kind of get into a rhythm with the Crunch Bunch pod now that he is wrapping up his professor duties. So hopefully that's going to well, pick back up. Season and, yeah, oh yeah. Yep. Trying to figure out what's going to happen with the number 48 car, the Warrior. As of right now, it's still got the Milk Bowl winning setup in it because it hasn't left the trailer since the Milk Bowl. I think all it needs right now to probably get it a little bit faster, to put it right back in victory lane as a new Barry Tile decal. Oh, man. Where the hell would we put it, though? The windshield. That's where. It's the only spot left. Where there is a will, there is a way. Yeah. We can get a whole bunch of tiny berry de- berry tile decals. Put them all over. We can make the numbers out of berry tile decals. Ooh, okay. I'm here for that. We'll have to uh we'll have to get our people on that. We know people. Alice Alice our people. Alice our people. Please share this episode if you enjoyed it. Heck, even if you didn't, give other people the opportunity to listen because we are very proud of this episode and we want as many people to hear it as we can. Keep liking, keep giving us those five-star reviews on Apple. You can rate them on most of the different podcast forums now, your Spotify's, your... Google Podcasts, so on and so forth, helps us with the algorithms. Algorithm. Makes it easier for people to find us. So we appreciate the help when it comes to that. And we will be back next week with another fantastic episode. No, we don't know who it is yet, but we got a pretty good idea. Yeah, we don't know exactly who it is. You know, narrowed down to a couple that we feel pretty confident, you know, we're going to get done here in the next few days. Any one of the, we've got like four that are right on the vine and it's just whoever bites first is going to be it. And they're all spectacular. So which one is, is it going to be? We can't tell you cause we don't know yet, but we've got a nice lineup coming. Absolutely. You've been listening to the uncommon deeds podcast, a production of uncommon media.